Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler Patterson and Michael Remus. What's up, everybody? Glorious, glorious late June day in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And it's great to have you all with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Lots to get to. Uh, needless to say, the top story being on top of what the heck is going on with the Winnipeg Jets, where they go next on their head coaching search will be a topic until we find out one way or the other who the next bench boss for Winnipeg will be. Mike McIntyre will join the program coming up a little later on, and we'll revisit many of the topics we uh, spoke about Friday right after Barry Trotz via Darren Drager dropped the bomb that uh, thanks but no thanks to the Winnipeg Jets. Of course, lots of follow-up from yesterday's Hockey Hall of Fame announcements as well, which we'll touch on. And at this point now, yesterday... Congratulations, Avalanche. You won the Stanley Cup. We'll hit that quickly with Dave McCarthy. But now it is on to the offseason, the draft next week, unrestricted free agency in the free agency of the following week. And needless to say, if you're looking around the National Hockey League, it, teams that have a lot of big decisions to make and things to do, the Winnipeg Jets right up there near the top of the list. So Dave McCarthy first up, Mike McIntyre as well. And then with the Bombers off today, getting ready, kind of a weird week for the Blue and Gold. They don't play till Monday. Uh, so that's why we were talking with Jackson Jeffcoat, who was looking where a good place to go fishing for a couple days was. Of course, everyone told him Aikens Lake. Um, we'll, uh, we're going to focus in on tennis. And obviously, Shapovalov and Felix Ojeel, you see both on the court right now. Bianca Andreescu playing a little later on. We'll take a look at the Canadians at Wimbledon with our good friend John Horn a little bit later on. Um, Blue Jays back in action tonight against the Red Sox after their win yesterday. We'll hit the cool bet lines on Major League Baseball and more and get to some racing picks for Assiniboy Downs before we are all said and done today. Uh, welcome to everyone with us in the chat. Shout out to everyone on YouTube. If you are new, if you just found us, make sure you hit that red subscribe button and join us. Nice little milestone yesterday that's been really good with welcoming new people in over the last month or so for the program. Um, over 7.4 thousand subs. So if you are not part of that group, what the heck you're waiting for? It's free. It's easy. Hit the red subscribe button. And when you get to YouTube, our latest Winnipeg Sports Talk content will be there ready and waiting for you. If you're not able to join us live Monday to Friday at 1 o'clock p.m. Um, I do want to thank all the sponsors that make this program happen each and every day. Uh, mentioned Aikens Lake. Aikens was getting some good run yesterday on Twitter after Jackson Jeffcoat was wondering where he should go fishing for a few days. We'll be out there a little later on this season. Uh, Wallace and Wallace, F Apparel, Vita Health Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Breezy Bend, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Assiniboy Downs, Canadian Club Whiskey, and of course, our betting partners over at Cool Bet Canada. Uh, so lots of hockey talk. Today on the show, and uh, the show can't go on without my guy Michael Remus joining me now. Remo, what's up? How was your uh, How was your Monday night? Our first sort of weeknight where we've really had to accept the fact that the playoffs are over, the NBA was already over, the NHL is over, and I have a feeling there was a few more people tuning into Major League Baseball last night, or maybe walking down memory lane for 20 years of John Cena in the WWE. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not a big John Cena guy. He was, um, he came in after I was invested. I was never, never a big, I was He's following, 
I'm not a I'm not a huge Cena guy. Um, I'll just say I'll say that. But uh, I was watching a, a Cineboid. I'm not a hater. I just like he doesn't do he doesn't do it for me either way. I don't have any Cena nostalgia because I was never there when he was big. But um, I was tuned into Cineboid Downs. I did get a start on some just getting some videos done for this. We had the nice uh, Winnipeg Jets coach watch with Jeff yesterday. That's on our uh, channel as a standalone video but um yeah it was i guess a bit quiet night i did have my son's uh picture day at you know two and three-year-old soccer because we are a oh. soccer we are a soccer nation <laughs> how is that the two two picture day uh, trying yeah. to organize a team of two and three-year-olds i mean yeah. if you're in the photography business that might be the most challenging assignment you'll get uh, other than maybe dealing with the odd bridezilla on their wedding day. The team photo is like my son pushing another kid on the team and two parents like trying to separate them. Like that's captured in the, in the picture. <laughs> it was so bad, man. It's this soccer is horrible. It's, it's, I had to take a little my, too early. It's fun to get him to go and run around, but I had to take my son home early, like last week cause he was pushing everyone on his own team and, been like dog pile, like getting in dog piles with other kids. <laughs> Mess. We it's need crazy. just you need to bring some footage and we'll do updates on the program. Just seeing these little maniacs run around, no. run away, run towards the play structure. Um, you know, do all the things that probably you weren't setting out to do. But again, very young. It's hard to teach them organization and mm. team play when many of them don't even know what Dude. the heck's going on. It Dave the Fantasy in chat says, what are you teaching your kid? Well, I did send you the video of him listing off uh, all the hockey superstars from 20. That was uh, impressive. Yeah, Evan's ready to fill in someday on uh, on Winnipeg Sports I'm, Talk if one of us are done. He 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 knows the whole NHL right now. You just I'm, show him a picture, he's rattling those guys off. I'm Yeah, he's so he knows. Um, he may not know how to play soccer, but he's familiar with the hockey superstars 2021. That's a great book that we've been reading. So he knows all those names. But uh, as far as playing well it's another story uh lots going on yeah little remo the enforcer of two and three year old timbit soccer that's exactly right bad move blake i've coached three to four year old soccer it is like herding cats that's exactly what i thought that they'd be doing and uh some other yes wwf soccer amongst uh, amongst young children schickster asking hey hustler are you ever betting footy again on the lock shop yes absolutely Today, by the way, we just did the lock shop. If you haven't seen it, you can check my social feed, Dustin Nielsen's as well, or if you're listening on the podcast, wherever you get it, um, it's up for you. Uh, you know, throughout the season, up until this point, we usually do a Tuesday show and a Friday show. Um, today, we definitely wanted to do one because we wanted to get to the golf, even though pretty much no one outside of Webb Simpson and Adam Hadwin of the big names are playing in the John Deere Classic. And also to get to all the Canadian Football League picks, Wimbledon, Little Major League Baseball, because, of course, this is the long weekend and, you know, the Canada Day is on the Friday. Um, so we got all that. But yes, Schickster, over the course of the next couple months, the show heading into the weekend will most certainly. Actually, you can help me out. Give me some picks. They can, we could can use some winners on the lock shop, especially when it comes to AFL, because I was on it quite a bit at the start of the season, but I haven't seen as much as of late. Anyways, all of that's in there. Lock shop is up. And, uh, the year Winnipeg sports talk fix is coming up right now. Um, Remo, let's get to it. I mean, we'll really focus in on the Jets later on with Mike McIntyre. 
Although there was an interesting tweet from uh, the People's Insider, Kevin Weeks, um, a few minutes ago, um, where he was speaking about a number of the names to look uh, look for in the coaching search. Now, he did not spe uh, specify who would be interested in which team. Um, but again, and I'll read this out for everyone on the podcast, young coaches to keep an eye on, by the way, great emoji usage by Weeks. Jack Adams finalist, Andrew Brunette. Jeff Halpern, Jay Leach, Marco Sturm, Spencer Carberry, Ryan McDugano, Dave Nemirovsky, Jason Payne, Alan Nazardine, Matt Thomas, Sheldon Brookbank, Enrico Blasi, Mark Savard, Mike Pekka. So a number of those names will be familiar to you as former NHLers. Some of them won't be. Um, but, oh, and others include Mike Van Rin, Steve Ott, Ryan Forkowski, Nolan Pratt, amongst others. I'm not sure, and I know there will be some people that would love for the Winnipeg Jets to go with a young coach. Um, considering where this team is right now and what happened last year, I think the sort of the narrative that I personally subscribe to is that a veteran coach that can come in and immediately sort of command the room uh, would be a big bonus for the Winnipeg Jets. But there's a lot of other names on right now. And, you know, it is interesting, Reem. We went from a situation where it was all about Barry Trotz for obvious reasons, both for the fans and the organization. But last Friday, we found out in the middle of the show at Little Brown Jug that it wasn't going to be Little Brown Jug. It wasn't going to be Barry Trotz. And uh, I think at this point, you know, there's been many of the teams that we have heard playing as, uh, there are many of the, sorry, the candidates that, you know, have been mentioned. But it wouldn't surprise me if over the course of the next few days, a couple guys are connected to the Winnipeg Jets that maybe we hadn't heard before um, just because a lot of the work I think that was being done on second choices was really secondary to the full court press of getting Barry Trotz to come back to Manitoba. Yeah, and the names Jeff threw out yesterday are were Rick Tockett, Scott Arneal, Pascal Vincent, and um, sorry, I have it written down here. Well, and, and we mentioned Brunette too, although and, we didn't talk about him right off the bat. I mean, yeah. he's interesting oh, for obvious reasons. And Jim, Jim Montgomery as well, who Elliot uh, connected to Boston with Jeff Merrick today. And, you know, Rick Tockett is one that I've always been, you know, um, not really crazy about just because I don't know why he would come or wouldn't he rather be on TNT with Gretzky than Winnipeg? Just because we hear how much people hate it here and no one wants to come. Wouldn't you rather be tuning around in the TNT studio? I'm you know, being kind of facetious there, but uh, that one is interesting. But you look at, you know, you look at the Stanley Cup final the two coaches that were hired, they were both, what, like first-time coaches? Had success in the AHL, both winning Calder Cups. Um, I do wonder, you know, I don't think it's bad if you go that way, but does that signal that, hey, the Jets are young and rebuilding? Because when they brought in Bednar, they were, the what, the worst team in the league, Colorado, and Tampa kind of had to rebuild around that time as well. And they got worse under Bednar. They, like, yeah. If you recall, Bednar's, I oh. believe, his first season – was a historically bad year in the National Hockey League. I still don't think there's been a worse team in the loser point era than that Avalanche team was. But, man, did they turn around. And to Joe Sackick's credit, he thought he had his guy. He stuck with them. It would have been very easy for how bad that team was in that season to move on with another, with another coach. Um, but they didn't do it. And... They have stayed the course, and this is something that I think the Winnipeg Jets wanted to do with Paul Maurice, um, and they certainly did that for a long time, maybe past the due date 
of uh, the Jets' former head coach. But now they're into a decision-making um, process and situation where I think there are a number of good candidates. Uh, but there will be some younger coaches that, to your exact point, you know, maybe going the route of a John Cooper and a Jared Bednar. Both those guys ended up in pretty damn good situations and, um, you know, took their teams to hockey's ultimate prize. Talking is fascinating, and I'm seeing in the chat there's some people that are in on uh, that are in on Rick Talkin. The thing I like about Talkin, and I'm not going to sit here, I don't think anyone that was going to tell you about the particular guy's systems um, really knows what they're talking about uh, because different coaches will have different systems for different personnel and what they have at their hands, uh, you know, on hand. The one thing about Talkit, though, and this is something that's important to me, and you know, everyone will make their own decision on what it is. I think if Rick Talkit came in, he is a man that has played with some of the best ever. He has been to the top of the mountain. I believe he's a Stanley Cup champion with Pittsburgh when he was there. And, uh, you know, a guy that, you know, has some experience, but also was a player, a tough player, a respected player, and a guy that obviously has, you know, some media chops as well from doing his work with TNT. So in a lot of ways, I think he would cover a lot of the bases. Now, he doesn't have the resume of Barry Trotz, but not many people do. Um, but, you know... We've talked a lot on this program, Remo, about what type of coach makes the most sense for the Winnipeg Jets at this point and where they are. And I think that if you're thinking that they're going to try and keep this team competitive right now and not go through a big rebuild, I think Rick Tockett is that sort of a guy. I'm not sure that Rick Tockett is that guy. If you uh, are making significant moves, trading, trying to get more draft picks, and maybe kicking the can down the road a little bit and potentially moving some major players that have been a big part of the Winnipeg Jets over the last number of seasons. Yeah, I'm so torn on, you know, what the Jets do after being turned down by Barry Trotz. Um, you know, you're just such a crazy situation where you're looking to trade your captain, um, you know, the franchise center that you, well, I guess the two franchise centers in Dubois, one of them, he does not going to sign long-term according to him. And that right change now. Right, right as, now. at this point. We yeah. can't we can't be we can't make it sound like this building, you know, like Pierre Luc Dubois is in the same situation that these other guys are. No. Because Dubois, like we've seen over and over again, uh, you know, will probably get a one year deal. Um, and whether the team comes together. And I'd be surprised if they went to arbitration. I'm sure they could figure out a one-year deal that makes yeah. sense going forward. You hopefully keep things on good terms. And then from the organization's perspective with Dubois, what they need to do is make it a better atmosphere around this team, show everyone that things are going forward, and certainly in Dubois' situation, that he would be a cornerstone piece of this team going forward and that the money would be there for him. And if all that goes well, he may still say, ah, I'm going to try the you know, unrestricted free agency. I've always wanted to be somewhere else, but at least you give yourself the best chance of keeping that asset and you make your decision at some point beforehand to get value back that point we're not even close to yet right now. Um, but it's different with a guy like Mark Shifley. It's certainly different with Blake Wheeler uh, because of everything that kind of surrounded the team. And if they do want to make a major turnover amongst that leadership group, I would imagine that one, if not two of those players we just mentioned could potentially be finding themselves a different home next year. If the right deal can be made for the team and the player, particularly in Blake Wheeler's um, situation. Yeah. So, well, I'm you know curious like what the team is going to look like if you make a trade. Here, are they going to be trying to, it seems like they really do want to compete, but I think it's hard when you have to make, when you're being forced into all these deals, 
I see a lot of people in chat asking about Andrew Brunette, and Jeff spoke about him yesterday, saying that he's not so sure that Brunette would want to hop in to Winnipeg after you know be coaching the top team, and then you're going into the situation here. I Elliot, don't buy that, dude. Yeah. Guys, there's only 32 jobs. Like, why do you think we're talking about Rick talking those sort of things? Yeah, like if there was 15 openings in the league, and you're getting off of them, yeah, maybe Winnipeg's not at the top of your list. But if you're a head coach and you want to coach in the best league in the world, I'm not too sure how picky and choosy guys are going to be, even if they were a finalist for the Jack Adams last year. That's what I'm thinking. I think if he wants to coach, I mean, there's going to be other jobs. You know, it depends. On, but I was always, you know, reading that did he, he was in the front office before and all of a sudden he was thrust into this coaching role. Like, how much desire is there to continue that? Uh, I mean, I have no idea, but I just remember reading that. But Elliot's pointed out that the Jets did reach out to Andrew Brunette. So we'll see what happens. I do wonder, you know, coming into the week, I was like, well, we're for sure getting an, getting an announcement this week. Just how much time do you have left? But I, then I started to remember in 2011, I was at the draft when they announced Claude Noel as head coach and had held the press conference in, uh, in Minnesota or St. Paul. So will we see something next week? We can drag out the Winnipeg Jets head coach watch all week and uh, keep speculating until, until next week. This is, it's crazy that it's still going on. And I mean, the other teams, uh, sorry, Elliot was mentioning Boston in on Montgomery and Quinn. I think I might've said that already. And it seems like Jeff said this too before, but uh, Lalonde seems to be the odds on favorite in Detroit. Yeah. You know, there's the obvious Tampa connections. And mm -hmm. I mean, those guys have worked under John Cooper, John Cooper ain't going anywhere right now. So pretty good opportunity for one of those guys. And we know the connections between uh, Steve Eiserman uh, and the Tampa Bay lightning organization um just today on the merrick show today friedman did say he's not sure if the jets have sort of expanded their coaching search i was sort of mentioning i wouldn't be surprised that that is somewhat of a bit of a possibility at this point but they have made contact with andrew burnett and are waiting and he, elliot was waiting to see if the tampa bay assistants might be involved at all i do think detroit's the most likely landing spot for one of the guys in tampa um, but you know, and I know we've been so focused on Barry Trotz, and I think part of that has sort of shaped the time frame of this. I'm not sure at this point, though, Remus, now whether there is as much of a rush to get this done before the draft. Um, I think at this point, the amateur scouting meetings have happened. Uh, I think that the Jets are pretty sure about who and what they would be picking, the order of players. And I'm not really sure that anybody not named Trotz would come into the room and have as much stroke to potentially work, certainly on anyone anyone that they're picking. And I think most of these coaches don't pay much attention to these players that are coming into the league anyways as draftees. Um, but what is interesting is how a new coach might work with what the player moves that Kevin Sheveldayoff is going to make. All I can tell you is one way or the other, there's going to be a coach at some point. It might not happen before the first round of the draft next week. But I certainly do think that Shovel Dayoff is going to be a very, very busy guy, both when it comes to talking with colleagues around the league on potential deals, whether this involves more draft picks, as well as players on this roster right now. And I would, I would assume that when we get back after the weekend with the draft on Thursday and Friday next week, that we'll be talking Monday, Tuesday about you know, potentially some deals and who knows, maybe having to get after it on the, uh, on the weekend, depending on what happens. Yeah. I'm, I'm if the jets are listening and mm -hmm. I've been told that they are, um, 
Let's not have the announcement on Friday. Let's keep it a holiday. We've talked about this. Respect our nation. Yeah, respect. Yeah, they don't do it on 4th of July in the U.S. You think the NHL, you talk about the Sarahs, you think the NHL is having free agent frenzy on 4th of July? Why was it a thing? It's not here. Like, we can't complain about that. But yes, it is a day off for everybody. Why was it a thing on Canada Day for so long? You know how many Canada Days I had to work and sit in the windowless studio of our old employer all day? Horrible. Thankfully, I got out of that. Um, that was the worst. So, like, you think the reporters want to be sitting around in the media room? Again, no windows while it's sunny outside and everyone's celebrating? We don't want to do that. Let us have the day off. I was, like, at like at the cottage watching Free Agent Frenzy, like, keeping track of John Tavares being signed. Like, I don't want to. Well, you know done. what? Being, being at that station yeah. for so long, I pretty much did everything there. Yeah. With the exception of the July 1st shows. Rick I, always handled that. You got rolled into that because, of course, you worked with Rick for so long on, yeah. on it. And then, you know, at times before Paul was involved, Marku was involved, I always appreciated that it was on and I was always listening to it, just wasn't a part of it. But yeah, you're right. So, yes, Jets, please, um, either Thursday or enjoy the weekend, get the Ducks in a row. We can have a press conference next week and. Uh, we know that next week is going to be a really interesting week. And, hey, speaking of the draft, while we're talking about this, Reem, Bob McKenzie, the Bob father, has emerged. He has put the margaritas down long enough to put up his final draft rankings. And I think this is, this is somewhat shocking just because how long have we been talking about Shane Wright being the number one pick in this draft literally for two full years that – the Bob father has put together his consensus draft amongst 10 scouts and Shane Wright is not number one. Yuri Slavskovsky, Slavskovsky. How did I do that? Hopefully we'll be getting better with that name. Uh, is it number one right now? And um, a Slovakian player, I believe playing in the Finnish junior league was a star at the world junior championship is at the top of the list. And, like, you know how crazy things are in Montreal, Reem. You know how much, how hot the magnifying glass is on that organization. They finally win the draft. They're hosting the draft. And to now have, at least amongst some of the most respected people in hockey, no consensus on that number one pick, that makes things a little more interesting going into next week, not just for the teams involved, but especially for the top of the order. It reminds me of when the Raptors won the NBA draft lottery and Andrea Bargnani was the top pick, like the one year that it was just the, you know, it was a LeBron like the year before and I think after. I forget who it was the year after, but that was just the worst year for the draft. But this guy, these guys don't suck, but it's just that. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone thought Bargnani sucked at the time, did they? Well, it I don't, was. I don't know. I don't. We don't need to open this can of worms. Like, yes, um, the Bargnani. Uh, we we don't need to go down that road. But, but uh, is it interesting know, here, about Nolan these guys. Patrick's a perfect example. Nolan yeah. Patrick was the consensus number one player for the better part of two yep. years. He didn't go first. It was Nico Hisha that went first, and both of those teams and the team that picked third are killing themselves for not picking Kale McCarr, who went fourth in that same draft, and I seem to think had a pretty darn good year. Um, but there is some intrigue on this list, and we know the Jets. We've heard the Jets have thought. I've you know heard for some folks, and I think Hamilton said yesterday he's heard some rumblings that the Jets would love potentially move into the top five, maybe even higher in this draft. 
you wonder if there's a particular player that they've got their sights set on, but you know, what it would take to move into the top of the draft and what that would do in the short term, um, I think would be fascinating. Not something a lot of people maybe were counting on a month ago or certainly a year ago. A couple names, um, you know, that I poked my head out and looked at uh, for the podcast listeners, Matt Savoy from the Winnipeg Ice. He was one of the top ranked North American skaters by uh, Central Scouting. He comes in at number nine on Bob McKenzie's list. And, you know, a lot of people here want the Winnipeg Jets to pick Connor Geeky. And I was saying, oh, no, he may not be around. Well, he's coming in at 13. You have to wonder if the Jets would look at him. And Frank Nazar, that's a player that Murat uh, mock drafted the Jets in one of his mock drafts. He's mentioning he comes in at 15. And he's played for the USA under-18s. And if I remember correctly, um, the Jets do like to draft players out of the USA program. But... Wouldn't you like to see the Jets draft a good Canadian boy here, Huss, with their first pick? Get some, well, I don't get care some Western about good Hockey Canadian League boys, talent. and I don't care about Western Hockey League, but I'll tell you what, I do think that it would be awesome to have someone, you know, like from Manitoba, from our province. I, I think that, you know, part of the reason we talk about guys, and listen, I don't want to go down this road, but, you know, the team having to work so hard to convince players to play here, and I think, to be honest, a lot more has been made of that. I think you create a culture of winning and treating players well, which I know True North has done. Um, but, you know, also if the if the narrative is always that, oh, we're so lucky to have these guys and they'd want to be every, everywhere else, it can become somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And listen, I don't know Connor Geeky well. Talked to him at one point last season, a very impressive young guy, bright hockey future. But um, if we could get a Manitoba kid, that has the talent and it deserves to be drafted there here in this organization to hopefully be part of the future going forward. I think that's a good thing. It certainly would be great for fans. There hasn't been enough of that. I mean, we could count the Winnipeg and Manitoba players on one hand. I mean, Adam Brooks came in as a waiver player, Eric fair at the beginning. I mean, was there even any Manitobans in between those guys? Yeah. So, Cody I, Eakin. It, Eric well, Meech. Eakin. Okay. Well, exactly. I'm so trying to some think. real, so bottom of the lineup guys to come by yeah. and you know what? Um, I think it would be really cool. And I think it'd be great for the organization if they had a player that, you know, both checks off the boxes of the guy that they want to draft that also happens to be here. So, Hey, we'll see how that goes. Um, you know, we'll, we'll pick Mike's brain on that coming up uh, a little bit uh, later on before I know we got to go to Dave, but I'll just say, you know, we never heard any issues about the jets having difficulty keeping guys around like when they were building up to the 2018 season. So many guys, Connor, Ehlers, Hellbuck, Wheeler, Bufflin, exactly. Little, all those guys resign. It's only now, you know, the last like couple of years, the team's been trending down since that 2019 loss to St. Louis. We're hearing more and more about, you know, maybe new leadership needed and guys uh, not enjoying themselves on the team. But uh, leading up to that 2018 playoffs, I mean, every, they were able to re-sign just about, uh, just about everyone. Truba, it, although it we was, had heard that, sorry. La, la, last year's winter might have been a, might, <laughs> might have not helped the hey, program. Hey, we talked about doing, just getting out of here and doing the show remotely somewhere, <laughs> like a Rod Peterson style. <laughs> no doubt. Um, so anyways, I mean, oh, Mahoney, you know, people think, think Winnipeg is too much of a fishbowl for homegrown players and their family's parents. Well, what the hell is Toronto then? What is Montreal? Like, guys, it's Canada. People love their teams, and they are afforded this sort of fame that comes along with being a National Hockey Leaguer in these Canadian cities. 
I don't think it's any different for Mark Shifley because he's in Ontario than it would be for a Connor Geeky playing here in Winnipeg. At the end of the day, there's a lot of things that need to get fixed, and I think it's more internal, you know, within the team, within the dressing room. And the bottom line, winning cures a lot of things right now, and the Jets hadn't done as much of it the last couple seasons, and expectations were so high. You combine all that together, and some things went wrong. Certainly not unsalvageable, though. Uh, but back to the original premise, if a guy like Connor Geeky was there and the Winnipeg Jets thinks that he'd be a great pick, would love to see a Manitoba player get picked in the first round and be a key part of the future going forward. I think it would be great for the organization. All right, coming up in just a second, Dave McCarthy's going to join us. Mike McIntyre after that. Uh, big thanks to the gang at Aikens Lake. They got a lot of love on social media yesterday. We were all telling Jackson Jeffco if he's got a few days off and he wants to find somewhere to go fishing. That is the spot. Although, busiest summer ever for uh, them right now find out more at akinslake.com on availabilities for this season and next year for you and your family or an incredible corporate outing wallace and wallace winnipeg's fencing and overhead door specialists are busy this summer uh rebuilding and making new fences for manitobans like they've been doing since 1946 uh they got it all vinyl ornamental welded wire chain link or wood and if it's time to replace your garage door now's the time to do it and wallace and wallace has winnipeg's largest selection of overhead garage doors give them a call at 452-2700 an expert of wallace will arrange the time to come out and give you a free estimate you can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on lawson road off of Keniston Boulevard. Uh, Andrew, the gang at F Apparel are ready for summer. And of course, wedding season. If it's not already here for you, you know you've got a couple coming up uh, later on. And uh, every guy, hey, needs at least one suit that fits and looks great. But if you absolutely have to get one because you're in the wedding party or having your own wedding, talk to the fellas about a 15% discount for your entire wedding if you want to get suited up at F Apparel. Not to mention, check out their chinos, golf pants, and more. They're at 190 Smith Street downtown. Make an appointment or check them out online at app. That's ephapparel.com. And uh, the gang of Vita Health. Oh, they had a great event on the weekend. So nice to see everybody out there at the barbecue and block party. And speaking of barbecuing, I tried one of those delicious bison burgers. They've got lean bison steaks as well, chicken and more. If you're looking for an even healthier option for the barbecue heading into this long weekend. And if you're entertaining, I want to have a non-alcoholic option for your guests. They've got beers like the Sober Carpenter and more. Um... Great options for you if you do want to have for your guests a non-alcoholic option at your event. Find out more, Vita Health, seven Winnipeg locations, including the newest store in Linden Ridge, empowering Manitobans of leading healthier lives for over 60 years here in Manitoba. All right, Mike's on deck, but first up, let's wrap the cup final, the Hockey Hall of Fame inductions from yesterday. And a look ahead to the offseason with Dave McCarthy from Sirius XM NHL Radio. Dave, what's going on, man? Great to have you back on the program. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, not much. It's uh, definitely a quieter time of year, but busy in, uh, in in the other vein, really. When you look at what's going to go on over the offseason, uh, there, there's a lot to get done. we got the draft coming up, free agency. I think there's going to be some relatively significant player movement throughout, uh, throughout the, the summertime. And then, uh, you know, before we know it, we're going to be back into training camp. You might uh, you might say for the off-season blink 
and you'll miss it. Well, that's certainly the case here in Winnipeg. I mean, we still need to hire a coach. And, uh, you know, coming out mm. of last season, there's so much intrigue as to who will stick around, who will not be uh, be with the club next year, and what that means, especially heading into the draft next week. But, hey, before we get there, um, Colorado Avalanche, very, very worthy Stanley Cup champions. What did you think of the playoffs overall and the final series where they were finally the first team in three years to slay the dragon that was the two-time defending champion Lightning? Well, when you go 16-4 and four in the playoffs, you deserve to win the Stanley Cup. When you only lose the equivalent of a series, four games throughout four series, that shows you how dominant uh, you were. So they are a, a tremendously worthy champion. And you know, I'm happy for a lot of those guys because... Gabriel Landeskog, he's been around for a little while now. Eric Johnson's been around for a long time. Uh, Andrew Cogliano, around for a long time. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, as well, to an extent, right? And a lot of these guys uh, are are incredible players and and thought of as being, certainly in in, in McKinnon's case, in, in Landeskog's case, I don't know, like all-time greats or just like elite, elite players. And then, some of the, the depth guys like like Eric Johnson and, and Andrew Cogliano, you, you go out your, your entire career and you put together really nice careers as all those guys have. It, it always, I find, is difficult when you look back and, you know, rightly or wrongly, because I don't think it's something we should necessarily hold against guys. Sometimes it's just, it's not your fault. Like, it's not your fault that you don't end up going on to win and you can still have an incredible career. But there's always that, yeah, but didn't win a cup. Yeah, but that guy didn't win a cup. And we saw that yesterday with the, the Hockey Hall of Fame induction. All four of the guys that got in, nobody won a cup. And that got brought up right away. So to have that, that, that absence in their resume completed, I think is, is really nice to see. Um, those guys earned it. They were dominant. And uh, you know, down the stretch, I think for the majority of that final, us, they were they were the better team, and I think they deserve to win. I'll be honest. I was picking Tampa going into the series based on so the I. coaching advantage and certainly the goaltending. Um, but we saw very quickly that Colorado was absolutely able to ramp their level up. I don't think we needed to see their best, um, to be honest, in the three series before they got to the cup final. Um, you know, the Edmonton series was entertaining and it was fun, but it was over before it started, and they never really seemed to be in danger. But... The way they upped their level, I think, about overtime in the first game after Colorado came back, um, mm -hmm. or, excuse me, Tampa Bay came back, um, and then th their performance in the third period of game six after not closing the deal at home in game five, to me, might have been the most impressive 20 minutes of the entire playoffs for them. Tampa, and we know what they bring to the table, playing for their lives. Uh, part of it might have been they didn't have a lot of gas left, but they got squeezed out like a python in those final 20 minutes, and Darcy Kemper didn't really have to do very much. No, and I think that was the recipe for Colorado. Like Essentially, Tampa went, or I should say Colorado went full Tampa in that third period, yeah. right? When when Tampa was clinching series uh, down the stretch almost throughout the entirety of clinching games, they snuffed out their opponent. Nothing happened. They went full 95 Devils, and that's what the Avalanche did in, in the third period of game uh, six. Tampa couldn't really get anywhere near the net. And I think they had to do that because Darcy Kemper, I don't think was a guy that you could necessarily rely on. They called on him once and he came up with a big save on Nikita Kucherov and a one-timer with six and a half minutes left. And finally, 
once in this series, he was able to deliver when, when they needed a save at the most important time. Um, but I think to lean on him throughout the third, you would have been rolling the dice. But, but to me, you look at Tampa, I, I thought they were outstanding in the first period of game four, outshot them 17-4, and only came away up one nothing. Same thing in the first period of game six. I thought they were really good, not quite as good as game four, but really good, only came away one nothing. And then from that point on in both those games, thought Colorado was the better team. It almost seemed to me like Tampa came into the game knowing the tank was on fumes. They floored it. Uh, they gave it everything they had. And to only essentially get to, to 60 miles an hour and not 100, so to speak, they left Colorado hanging around in those games. And then they ultimately were able to, to, to show why they were the better team uh, over the remainder of that game and, and finish the deal. So it's not like you go out of this final saying, you know, oh, geez, the Colorado, like they kind of backdoored their way in. No, they were the better team from start to finish. And, and you know what? Everyone will talk about injuries, but if you make it to this point to the Stanley Cup playoffs, every team is going to have the hell beaten out of them. But I'll say, even that being said, what we're hearing coming out of the lightning dressing room is pretty crazy. Shoulder, AC, joint sprain, and dislocated shoulder for Sorelli. Fractured foot for Hagel. The quad tear for point. Nick Paul had a shoulder, AC, joint sprain, and an MCL sprain. Kucherov, MCL sprain. Perry, AC, joint sprain in the shoulder. And a mangled finger for Ryan McDonough. Um, this is not to take anything away from the Colorado Avalanche. Just to point out that if you, it is the ultimate war of attrition the yeah. Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, no wonder uh, Tampa had really nothing left. I mean, no wonder maybe Brandon Hagel wasn't as effective as I anticipated him to be coming into these playoffs. I didn't really think he had much of an impact at all, certainly in the Cup final. Um, and I think almost I would go as far to say a disappointment, but knowing he's got a broken foot, I mean, it, that inhibits your ability to an extent. So um, that that really was quite a laundry list. And, and safe to say John Cooper wasn't kidding uh, after the game when he said, look, if this was the regular season, half our American Hockey League team would be in our lineup right now. No doubt about it. Dave McCarthy from SiriusXM <laughs> NHL Radio is with us. Hey, before we look ahead to the offseason, just a quick comment on uh, the class of 2022 Hockey Hall of Fame yesterday. Uh, we had a builder, the first Finnish woman ever to be uh, nominated and entered into the hall. And then a pretty interesting four-pack, including three members of that Canucks team that came so close. The incredible Sedin twins, Roberto Luongo. And I'm sure a little north of you, where you're at right now, a lot of happy people for Daniel Alfredson. Yeah. Um, look, well, let me just be clear, because I, I kind of hate this conversation. Because when you debate it, I think people... <laughs> take what you're saying as being derogatory to the guys who got in. So let me be clear. This is not my point. Um, I think Roberto Luongo was a lock. I think he deserves to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, Daniel and Henrik Sedin and, and Daniel Alfredson, I think um, they are Hall of Famers by and large. Like ultimately, they were going to end up in the Hall of Fame. But I, I think we missed some guys this time around because after Roberto Luongo, who is, is what right up there and wins all time, um, an incredible international career, 
and was widely regarded as one of the best goalies in the league for like a 10-year stretch, right? He, he, was, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. What about Alex McGilney, right? What about, what about Rod Brindamore? I thought this was going to be a year where they were going to be able to circle back and look at some guys that have been eligible for a little while that haven't made it in and, and that this was a year where they were going to, to, to get some of those guys in who I think also are, are Hall of Famers. But at, at times, I think we get into a position where the first year a certain new set of guys are eligible, they become sort of the object of the day. And, well, they've got to go in. But I, I don't know. I, I never looked at the Sedins as first ballot Hall of Famers. Excellent players, not first ballot Hall of Famers to me. Hall of Famers, yes, but not first ballot. So in a class like this, where and Daniel Alfredson, the same thing. Um, in a class like this, I, I thought there was an opportunity to circle back. I mean, Alex McGilney, Cups, 76 goals in a single season. 76 goals! And a Hall of Famer. Rod Brindamore, 1,400 games, 1,100 points, captained a team to a Stanley Cup and was widely regarded as the Patrice Bergeron of his day, the Guy Carboneau of his day. Rod Brindamore should be in the Hall of Fame. So that, that's sort of how I look at this. But, but in saying all that, let me be clear again. I also think the guys who got in are Hall of Famers but I think there was room to look at some other guys this year. Let me throw one other name that is an incredibly polarizing and controversial name, not because of what he did on the ice, but because of some of the things he has to say right now, and it's Theo Fleury. I mean, he played uh, 10, 1,084 games, was over a point-a-game player, was a point-a-game player in the uh, in the playoffs as well, won a Stanley Cup. Um, does, did, do you think he ever gets in, or has he sort of put himself in a unique category where he's so radioactive that um, they're just going to say thanks, but no thanks. And is that fair? Like, has he Kurt Schillinged himself, so <laughs> yeah, to speak? Perfect, perfect uh, description. Yeah. Um, well, okay, let's look at a little bit more deeply in terms of what he did on the ice. Did he ever win a Hart Trophy? No, right? Was he ever thought of as being in the mix for a Hart Trophy? Um, I'll let you and the listeners answer that question. Was he a first team all-star? I, I don't know the answer to that question. I'd have to look that up. Um, if he was, that furthers his case. If he wasn't, that, that takes away a little bit. So I think when you look at guys who, who get into the hall of fame, uh, cups are a part of it, but apparently not not all of it, right? Because all of the guys going in never got a cup. But, okay, well, what did they do internationally if, if they didn't have a cup? Well, Roberto Luongo was the starting goaltender on, on Olympic gold medal teams and World Cup teams. Um, and it's not the NHL Hall of Fame, remember? It's the Hockey Hall of Fame. So your international career factors in. Um, Henrik Sedin won a Hart Trophy. So he won a Hart Trophy. Uh, there are Rosses in there. Uh, I believe Daniel Sedin won a Ted Lindsay award. Um, and I believe if I'm not mistaken, he won a Maurice Richard, uh, award. Uh, 
fact check that maybe, but I'm pretty sure that he did. So there's, there's, there's individual um, accolades there. Did Theo Fleury win a goals title? No. Did he win an Art Ross? No. Um, so then you come down to, well... There's a lot of guys in the era that he was dominant, though, because, I mean, let's face yeah. it, he was playing in the highlight of Gretzky and uh, Mario Lemieux, and the yeah. guy did it at 5'6". Like, the thing that sort of stands out about Flurry and what makes him so unique is that, you know, he was this tiny little fire hydrant playing in a game where it was still sort of backyard rules a lot of the time, and yeah. he somehow persevered, and... Um, you know, I well, think- and that's, I think that's the case you can build for him, right? Because for, for a number of guys that get in, they seem to get in under the criteria of redefined how the game was played. Um, and you know, it, I think there's an element of that to the Sedines for sure. Right. Cause I don't think we've ever seen two guys play together the way they did. They shared a brain. Um, they, they, they essentially shared a brain. So there was some redefinition of how the game was played. We saw the game played in a, in a new way with those two. And I think that, that helped. And I think you can build that for Theo Fleury's case because he was sort of essentially the OG little guy that came in and um, had not just success, but a, a great career in an era where it had never been done before. So I think that that builds his case to get in. But then you get into everything that's gone off the ice. And for a lot of years, what had gone off the ice, I think you could have used to build his case, what he was able to overcome um, and all of that. You know, what he went through, nobody should have to go through that. Um, But... He has, I don't care who I'm going to offend here, because frankly, if you're offended by that, you need to look at yourself in the mirror. He's gone off the deep end with some of his beliefs right now that are indefensible, I think. And that has put him in, I think you put it quite right, Huss, earlier, um, a radioactive category where if you elect him to the Hall of Fame, I know the the voting committee does not have to answer for for who they elect, but it would cast the voting committee in the eyes of many in a very dark light. And I'm not sure that they want to find themselves in that light. Yeah, I'm very interested as to, you know, and again, we'll never really know. It's a very unique um, group that selects that. But uh, I I do wonder how much of, uh, you know, the things that he had later on in his career off the ice and then obviously post-playing, you know, may have put in. Because I do think based on his body of work, he probably deserves to be there. Hey, moving on. But speaking of small star players for the Calgary Flames, um, with free agency just around the corner. I think Johnny Hockey goes back to Cowtown. Uh, what are the other most uh, interesting? Uh, and I'll put the same thing about Philip Forsberg because I think that might be closer to possibly getting done. But um, are, are we talking about those guys on the 13th when free agency opens? Or do you think something happens to keep them with their teams on long-term deals? Yeah. Like if I was Johnny Gaudreau, I would, number one, want some assurance as to what's happening with Matthew Kachuk, right? Like I don't want to sign long-term and even at a few dollars less, if there's a 
a home it's not a hometown like we have to get this this term corrected right when you're not from the city in which you played the the entirety of your career it's not a hometown discount it's a home team discount Okay, so let's be clear. Well put, that well put, Dave. That is technically We're, correct. Yes. Well, not technically. A hometown it, discount would be going back correct. to Philly for Johnny Gaudreau yeah, for less exa- money. <laughs> exactly right. So um, if he comes back to Calgary on a home team discount, I don't want to sign there long term. And then Matthew Kachuk is either dealt this summer or out the door next year in free agency. So I, if I was Johnny Gaudreau, I'd kind of like to see that get done on a long-term deal um, before I sign. Now, it's within Matthew Kachuk's rights to um, sign his qualifying offer, kick it down the road, and then explore free agency. And if that's the case, that's not Calgary's fault. Um, they can't do anything about it, and they'll obviously have to come to a decision with Johnny before then. But I'd like some assurance here, because if I sign long-term and he leaves, I think the, the look of that team alters dramatically and i don't know if they're necessarily in a position to win right away so winning would matter to me a lot but i also think he's going to look for a big payday and i think he should i think he should um so i think there's a possibility he returns to to calgary but i'd put it at far from 100 percent at this point i think the lure of back home could be could be high for Johnny and I haven't talked to him I haven't talked to his rep- representation I don't know that but but I think it could be so so we'll see on that um as for Philip Forsberg he's been offered an 8 year deal I think he looks for for a lot of money I think he looks for every last dollar and cent um I don't think he's like he's not a legacy player in Nashville, right? He came from Washington. Well, he, he's their uh, all-time leading goal scorer. No, I know. I mean, I know. like they were an expansion team. They don't have much history to build on before that. So he oh, does yeah. have a pretty special place. And he, of course, For was sure. traded in the Martin Erat deal, one of the more infamous trade deadline deals of all time. I can't believe we're still talking about Erat right now. But that goes to show what Forsberg did for the Preds. For sure, he's had a great career, but. I think there's a lot of teams that would be really after uh, a guy like that. I mean, man, wouldn't he look good on the Dallas Stars right now, who I think need a top six winger? Um, what about uh, a team like the Washington Capitals? Um, <laughs> wouldn't that be hilarious? <laughs> like, right? Because I don't know if Nick Baxter ever plays again. Um, you know, TJ Oshie's certainly getting up there. And uh, his effectiveness is not what it was. Uh, they could use a scoring winger. That would be interesting. So uh, I think Philip Forsberg, uh, like if, if it didn't get done before the deadline or last summer, why would it get done before July the 13th? I mean, to me, right, if you're, if you're Forsberg, why not at least uh, take a peek, so to speak, uh, on July 13th and see what else is available if you've waited this long you can still circle back but i would i would take a peek to see what else is out there if you've gone this long yeah i mean i think that's realistic too and then one the difference uh, in my opinion from the johnny hockey to uh, forsberg situations is that i mean calgary had a hell of a season i mean they were and obviously they had a disappointing end in losing to the edmonton oilers but that is a team that you know was certainly thought to be a cup contender um, I thought they were yeah. Nashville, little different situation. And 
of course, you're in the division with the defending Stanley Cup champs, and that might not be that path to path to winning that many players want in that in that deal. Dave, before we go and before we get to free agency, next week is the draft. Uh, what intrigues you about the draft, and, and how active do you think we'll see player movement and trades going on the uh, on the floor? before presumably Shane Wright is uh, selected at number one. Yeah, I think we could see some movement. Um, anytime we get all the general managers in a single room together, um, as they will be this year for the first time in, in quite some time, uh, I think there's always that possibility. I think there's some teams that are going to look to shed some money. Um, and that's always uh, a good time to do it because if you want draft picks as sweeteners to take on some money, you want them to be used this time around. You got to make it before the draft. So, um, yeah, I think we could see some some player movement. Um, as for the draft itself, uh, I don't watch enough of of the prospects to uh, give you much of assessment. But I, I do expect Shane Wright to be taken number one overall. Um, you know, this is a guy that I had somebody tell me in 2020 before that draft. So you know, two drafts ago that if he had been eligible then, he would have been taken top five. Um, safe to say he's, he's well thought of. Uh, maybe not a, a McDavid or a Matthews or somebody like that, but a guy who's going to be a legitimate top six center in the league for a long, long time. And I think that's exactly who the Canadians could use. You put him with Nick Suzuki, pretty good-looking top six there um, for a number of years to come in Montreal. Dave, great stuff as always. Um, fill people in on uh, and your schedule. I mean, you'll actually probably get a little busier. Of course, you'll be doing the brunch and uh, maybe a little bit more during the day on Sirius XM NHL Radio. Fill people in on uh, where they can get all your content. Yeah, uh, throughout the summer, probably hear me during the day at some point. We're still working that out. Um, but the brunch now for a few more weeks, probably shut that down uh, a week or so after free agency. Uh, give me the weekends for the summer. And um, I've got content coming on NHL.com throughout the summer as well. So a little quieter, a little busier, different schedule, um, but certainly uh, enough to keep me busy. Well, and you will be busy maintaining that beautiful yard and backdrop for when you join us here on Winnipeg Sports yeah. Talk. It's, uh, it's looking great. You're Thanks, looking buddy. like a million U.S. tax-free and great job with everything this season. <laughs> um, we'll uh, definitely hook up again during the offseason. Dave, be well, and thanks for uh, popping on here in the peg. Keep an eye on the Jets. They might be the most interesting team over the course of the next few weeks with everything going on here in the peg. Yeah, I think there could be a lot. Got to find a coach. I think they've got to make a trade or two. Uh, they're a team I've, I've got my eye keenly focused on, to be sure. No, we're going to talk more about that coming up with Mike McIntyre in a few minutes. Thanks for doing this, Dave. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Good stuff with Dave. Mike McIntyre is on deck. He's going to join us and we will touch on a little Wimbledon before the end of the program and check in on the Canadians with John Horn. Um, big thanks to our friends at Culligan Water for their great support of Winnipeg sport, uh, Sports Talk. Hey, if you have water services and water needs, whether it's for the home, the cottage or the office, Culligan Water has you covered. They're celebrating 65 years in business as a locally owned Manitoba business. And they got it all. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, drinking water systems, citywide water delivery services, as well as commercial and industrial water products and solutions. 1200 Sergeant Avenue. Hit them up at 694-5180 or find out more online at drinkculligan.com. Uh, Manitoba battery ready for summer. Donnie and the gang 
putting in a few extra hours right now with their extended summer hours until 8 p.m. If you're uh, thinking you want to get a little bit of a head start maybe on some things you need to do for the weekend or just clear your schedule for the weekend, take care of their advantage of, of those extended hours. Pop by and see them after work. And hey, not only are you going to get a convenient time for yourself, but you're going to save time and money as opposed to going to the big box stores because Manitoba Battery has the lowest prices in town on batteries for literally anything you need to dominate the summer. They're at 1026 Logan Avenue. You can hit them up at 783-8787. They'll get your order ready for a quick and easy pickup, and you can check them out online at manitobabattery.com. Another very successful tent sale for the gang over at Royal Sports on the weekend. If you missed out, don't worry. There'll be a couple more this year because they've gone a couple years without them due to the COVID pandemic. But there, Winnipeggers love good deals, and there is no better deal than the Royal Sports sales. Um, thousands of items, over 50% off. Um, and in, in the meanwhile, pop into the store and check out the great deals on everything they've got from seven days a week. Uh, the best selection of merchandise, maybe anywhere. Um, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, international soccer. And that's just for the fans, for the players, the expanded soccer section, softball, baseball gear, tons of bikes, fitness equipment, and other real cool things to do in the summer like tennis and disc golf. Pop by and see them at 750 Pemina Highway. Follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. And hey, I got to give a big thanks to our friends at Breezy Bend. Of course, they've been sponsoring all of our golf uh, content on the uh, on the program. Again, big thanks to our guy Christian Hammerback, who won the All Abilities Championship on the weekend and did it sporting the Winnipeg Sports Talk hat. Look great, Christian, and congratulations on that. John Deere Classic going this week. Not a great field. Adam Hadwin, though, could very well be in the mix on Sunday. We hit that on the lock shop. Uh, but if you are thinking about a great home for your family long-term here in the city on the golf course, I don't think there's a better spot you could be than Breezy Bend. Talk to Corey Johnson about their waiting list for next year or go online and find out everything Breezy has to offer at breezybend.ca. All right, let's get Mike in here and keep things going on. Mike, how's it going? Not quite as crazy of an afternoon news-wise than when you joined us last week at Little Brown Jug. Thanks again for doing that. It was great to hang out with you in person with everyone that popped down. Unfortunately, we were sort of in a figurative cloud after the trots news just a few minutes before you joined us. And then the literal cloud with that insane weather that rolled in that delayed the bomber game later on that afternoon. Yeah, which was kind of fitting, uh, given all that happened that day. Uh, I actually wrote in my column that day that the dark clouds rolling in were kind of symbolic and perfectly <laughs> timed because I think a lot of folks around here felt like uh, there were some dark clouds following the Winnipeg Jets after the uh, after the trots news. And here we are now, a few days later, the, the clouds have gone, the sun is out and shining, but the Jets still don't have a head coach. And uh, we're getting even closer now to some pretty critical dates on the uh, the old NHL calendar. They, of course, handed out the Stanley Cup the other day. Congrats to the Avalanche for a well-deserved championship. Uh, but we're now just over a week away from the NHL draft. And you have to wonder, Huss, are the Jets going to have a head coach sitting at the draft table? Well, let me ask you, you this. Cons yeah. Considering, and I think we all thought if Barry Trotz was going to be in the mix, I thought that was important because I thought that, you know, they would want, and not necessarily for who they're going to pick, 
because none of these coaches are paying attention to, you know, the, the kids that are playing junior. But I think what it would have been is he, more than any coach, would have, I think had a real formative influence on potentially some of the moves that might be made by the Winnipeg Jets. How much do you think that taking trots out of the picture changes the level of urgency to get that coach done? Or do they continue doing that but focus on their pro scouting meetings, their amateur scouting meetings, and know that they have a plan as an organization for whoever the next coach may be? No, I think it does add a level of urgency. And as you point out, Haas, I mean, the, the coach, even if it was Barrett Trotz, was going to have very little input into who they ultimately draft next week in Montreal. I mean, they've had most of those, those scouting meetings. They would have their draft boards prepared. And that's not going to change, you know, regardless of who's behind the bench. But as you point out, there's a number of personnel decisions that this club has to make you know, whether it's Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, the blue line. Uh, and we know traditionally at the draft is where a lot of those discussions either get finalized or sometimes they just begin, right? And, you know, free agency is the week after the draft. So these are all critical parts of of formulating, you know, not only what your team's going to look like immediately uh, come training camp in September, but even long long term, and I think the Jets, you know, the, there is some urgency now to get this figured out. Uh, and I get a sense that they will probably have a coach in place uh, by next Thursday. Um, how close to that day is the announcement going to going to come? Not sure. Um, you know, if I had to place a bet, I I think by the end of this week they should be really close to, to figuring out who's going to lead them. But obviously, they've had to scramble. Um, and, you know, kind of play catch up here a bit because they had put so much uh, work into trying to get Barry Trotz. And as we mentioned, you know, eight other teams have hired head coaches while the Jets were kind of waiting on Trotz's decision. So the rest of the world kept kind of spinning uh, while the Jets world was was waiting on one key decision. They now have that decision. Uh, they have to lick their wounds pretty quickly here and, and start getting down to a long list of offseason business. Well, uh, how long is the list of potential coaches in your mind right now, Mike? I mean, I know we sort of talked uh, briefly in the immediate aftermath of this. I mean, a few days separated. We've heard Jim Montgomery's name potentially in the Boston mix right now. I'm still not too sure where he would rank among the Jets' first, second, third choice. I'm not even sure that they've established that, and I think that's a big part of the second interview process. For sure, and I think, you know, Andrew Burnett is an interesting name, and I think Elliot Friedman reported yesterday, not surprisingly, that the Jets have spoken with Burnett's camp, uh, at least had an initial conversation. And I I mentioned Burnett last Friday at Little Brown Jug that, you know, there's a name that until a day or two prior to Friday wasn't even on the radar because he was still property of the Florida Panthers. Uh, And I would think the Jets, along with the Bruins and the Red Wings, the other two teams that currently have coaching vacancies, they would be doing their due diligence to to reach out and speak with Andrew Brunette. Um, You know, obviously, Florida felt that he wasn't the guy to lead them, even though he just took them to a president's trophy uh, pretty much from, you know, the early part of the season when he took over for Joel Quenville. It's interesting, you know, Joe, uh, Andrew Burnett would be considered a fairly young coach, especially when you're looking at some of the other names out there on the market. And, you know, one of the things that I think the Jets have to figure out pretty quickly here is whether they're going to pivot at all from what the plan would have been had they had Barry Trotz at the helm. 
You know, if Barry Trotz was leading this team, they were clearly all in, you know, both feet um, immediately to do everything possible to produce a winner right now. Spending to the cap, the personnel decisions, you know, it might mean making some decisions with players that they wouldn't otherwise make. Just as they, you know, last trade deadline, they opted to trade Andrew Kopp largely because they were, you know, a distant ninth at the time, I believe, or maybe 10th in the West. Had the Jets been in a playoff spot, they wouldn't have traded Andrew Kopp. They would have probably used him as their own rental. So you wonder, do other decisions now get impacted by the Trotz decision? And that is, do the Jets take a bit of a longer view of of where they're at? And if they bring in, say, a younger coach like an Andrew Burnett, does that maybe reduce the urgency to go out and immediately, you know, make the kind of decisions you'd make to try and get a team that can win right now? And you play the long game and make some decisions that maybe don't immediately help you, but in the big picture uh, could could make your team a much stronger one down the road. So, you know, I think those are discussions that they're having. Um, you know, one name that I'm very interested to see if the Jets really pursue here is Rick Tockett, because I think he's a guy, and I was reading some stuff yesterday on Tockett. He's a guy that was in, in you know, rumored to be up for potentially three coaching vacancies last summer. Um, Buffalo, I think, was one that was really interested in him. And obviously, he didn't get hired, and he went the broadcast route uh, this past season. Uh, but he's a name, and we know the Jets have talked to Tockett. Uh, he was a name that the Flyers were supposedly very interested in, and there would have been some lineage there that made some sense. They obviously ended up hiring uh, John Tortorella. But, you know, I do wonder if a guy like Rick Tockett reemerges here as a viable candidate. I think Jim Montgomery absolutely is still in the mix. Uh, I'm curious to see where Pascal Vincent stands. I mean, we know, Haas, that a guy like Pascal Vincent, he wouldn't come here to be an assistant coach. He's already an assistant coach in the NHL in Columbus. So I don't think we're going to see a lateral move. A guy like Scott Arneal is interesting because he is an assistant coach in the NHL. If they were to make him an associate, I mean, that would be considered, I suppose, a bit of a promotion. Um, but again, going back to the Trots matter, if Scott Arneal was going to come in here with the idea that they were hiring Barry Trotz, who maybe was only going to coach a few more years, and then Arneal would be the coach in waiting, if you're now bringing, say, an Andrew Brunette in, well, does Scott Arneal really want to come here? Because maybe that door doesn't open as quickly as he thought it might. So it will be interesting to see the potential domino effect on coaching candidates, assisting coaching candidates, and maybe most importantly, roster decisions for this team. Now, here's the thing about Trotz, why, I mean, I think it was quite clear that he was the number one choice. I mean, he's got the resume, he immediately commands the respect, all those things that you you would like to have, and he also wins you the press conference and wins you the summer as well. Right. Um, I'm not sure that any of the other candidates are even close to Barry Trotz with what he would do sort of off the ice, you know, amongst the you know the, the, the fan base as to where people are at. So how much is that important anymore to True North, knowing that it's a very different situation not having to not having Barry Trotz? I mean, will, do you think that that will be part of the decision-making? Or when they come down to it, this is a hockey decision, yeah. and regardless of what the fans want or, you know, the people that will be, you know, all bitching on social media one way or the other about what they do, 
Um, do you think this is now something that, knowing that Trotz isn't available to them, this is purely a hockey decision as to who makes the most sense to help this team get to where they want to go? Well, you're right. I mean, Barry Trotz, and it's one of the many reasons he made so much sense for this market. You know, that's a home run without a single game even happening. Like you've, as you say, you've kind of won the summer by bringing in Barry Trotz for a lot of reasons, off ice more than anything. And, you know, that's before the on ice even happens. There is one other name out there, Haas, that I, I suppose you could argue would be a needle mover along the lines of a Barry Trotz. Uh, and that's a name that I, I saw John Shannon actually tossed out the other day after the Trotz decision came in. And that would be one Mike Babcock. And, you know, I, I personally would be surprised to see Mike Babcock here. But we do know that Mike Babcock would like to get back behind an NHL bench. Certainly, he's got a, a pretty decorated track record. Um, you know, he's... Believe- and some baggage. And some baggage. Well, he does, for sure. And that's why, I, I mean, I think there's probably a reason that Mike Babcock hasn't been hired by a team yet. And it it's not because of his his coaching record, but it's that baggage for sure. And, you know, I think it would be fascinating, wouldn't it, how that might play in this market. I mean, I think there would be some who would celebrate bringing in a huge high-profile name like Mike Babcock that would be right up there with Barry Trotz in terms of the name, right, the value of that brand. Uh, but would it be almost too much for some? And and would it be a, a risk True North wants to take? Again, you'd be paying a, a probably a pretty significant fee, but we know they were prepared to pay that to Barry Trotz. So, you know, I think that would be telling. Like if they were to go, say, the Mike Babcock route, that would show almost a level of desperation that they – they feel that the on-ice product is one thing, but they need to make a splash in other ways as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think at this point, as they now go through potential plan Bs, they would be wise to boil this down to a hockey decision and and who's the best mind, who's the best voice to lead this team, not just now for this season, but potentially for many seasons to come. And so, you know, I think we we've, kind of seen the names that are out there. Obviously, Jim Montgomery is somebody that has some connections to True North. Um, you know, Kirk Muller is a name that's been mentioned, and and we believe there's been some discussions there with the Calgary assistant. Obviously, Pascal Vincent, another name, Huss. I don't think it moves the needle in any, you know, in a, in a way like, like Barry Trotz would, but Alain Vigneault, I mean, again, there's connections there. Vigneault has a record of going into new teams and having success early and then obviously things kind of go off the rails after a few years if you look at his his teams but could Alan Vigneault be a guy that they're now doubling back on um you know I think from a pool of probably six or seven potential names um we're probably going to see a coach emerge from that but it's possible there could be one completely off the radar and you know a couple Tampa Bay assistants Derek Lalonde and Kirk Maltby are are guys that until pro- yesterday really couldn't even be available to be interviewed. And I suspect the Jets, like the Bruins and the Red Wings, would probably at least be checking in on those guys, you know, working as close as they have with a guy like John Cooper certainly doesn't hurt their stock and their value. Uh, but again, the clock is ticking. And uh, if I was a betting man, and I'm really not, uh, I would, however, 
expect to see a head coach named within the next week here. Yeah. I, I mean, I did. I always thought that for a long time. I've backed off that a little bit, knowing just how important the decision is and sort of where, from what we understand, where they are right now because of yeah. how far down the road they went on the Barry Trotz thing. The one thing that was not going to change, Mike, and I think that there's probably more of an urgency on this side of it than the coaching hire, to be honest is the decisions that they're going to make player personnel-wise and potential trades. Because I think, as we've all known, the time to make those deals is heading into the NHL draft. Once the draft is completed and the landscape of the trades and the players that have been picked, I think many of the landing spots for potential players or you know potential partners in deals have sort of already taken care of their business. So right. if I had to choose one or the other, I'm almost thinking that Chevaldeo's priority has to be on the roster and the decisions going in while at the same time continuing those meetings and hopefully getting closer to some sort of clarity as to who their number one choice is for the head coaching job. Right. And if you're the Jets, I mean, you're going into the draft next Thursday night. They're going to have two first round draft picks as it currently stands for 14th overall and 30th overall. And if you're talking about, and again, you know, Blake Wheeler is a name that's out there, right? And potentially needing to include a sweetener, um, you know, in addition to probably eating some salary, well, a first round draft pick would be a heck of a potential sweetener and the Jets have two of them to play with. And again, this goes to the mindset of what, what is the Jets mindset now? Are they Are they building for the future? Do they believe their window can still be wide open this season? And if so... Um, the two first-round draft picks, they don't help the team win now or even two years or three years from now. But if you were to turn one or both of those picks into something else, that that if you're trying to kind of go all in right now because you believe that you have a finite window left with this group. And again, Huss, you know, we talked about Mark Scheifele, UFA in two years, Blake Wheeler, UFA in two years, Connor Hellebuck, UFA in two years, and based on what we heard from Pierre-Luc Dubois' camp last year, you can now add Pierre-Luc Dubois UFA in two years. Whether or not those guys are even here to get to that point in two years, or if the Jets were to make decisions about some or all of those players prior to getting to that stage, these are all things that have to be weighed. And you know, I'll say this, Huss, we're, we're planning, uh, I'm going to be at the draft in Montreal next week, and our expectation is that Kevin Cheveldayoff next Wednesday afternoon in Montreal will speak with us um, local scribes that are at the draft uh, whether or not he's talking about a coach whether or not he's talking about the the draft or some of these player personnel I suspect it's going to be a lengthy uh, hot stove session with the GM next Wednesday uh, so fo for folks kind of waiting <laughs> on potential Jets news I would circle that date on the calendar next Wednesday because it could be a real newsworthy uh, chat with the GM. Well, and, and certainly, I mean, we could be hearing from Chevy before then if yeah. they do make some sort of a decision on the head coach and there is some sort of an announcement. But, you know, Remo, Remo mentioned this, and I completely forgot about this because Gary and I had already planned to be at Aikens Lake during the draft of 2011 when everything happened, and we were sort of following from afar. But he had mentioned, like, that was also where the Jets announced that Claude Noel was going to be the coach. So... You right. never know. Um, the Jets have done a lot of things on the draft floor in the past. They, you know, the coach, they announced the name, the Winnipeg Jets, yeah. obviously yeah. drafting Mark Shifley. So, 
I mean, I guess, you know, considering everyone's coming together and this is sort of the real convention, if you will, of people in the industry, um, who's that to say that they might be able to kill a couple birds with one stone and maybe have that announcement there while they've got all you assembled um, <laughs> and he can maybe minimize the number of press conferences he has right. to deal with the ink-stained wretches. And you wonder, Huss, will Gary Bettman be stepping up to utter these six words that make hockey fans go crazy on draft day? We have a trade to announce. Um, wouldn't rule it out. Uh, but yeah, Kevin Shoveldayoff, uh, well, I'll say this. He won't be out at Aikens Lake anytime soon uh, because he's got a to-do list a mile long here. Uh, gathering uh, well, dust by the day here. Let, let me ask you this, uh, Mike. And uh, you know, again, there's a long time until next season, but uh, I really do think that for particular players, and I'm sure there's been talks already, um, you know, if they are going to get moved, it probably is more likely to happen in and around and before selections are made. Yes. Uh, of Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler, how many are Winnipeg Jets the following week of the draft? Yeah, I, I don't see a scenario where both those guys are back, where where they're both back. I think there's a there's a more likely scenario that the season begins with one of them. I was much more bullish on them trading Mark Shifley. Um, you know, I think at one point, Huss, shortly after the season ended, I might have said 90 or 95%. Um, I think that's cooled a little bit. And, and the Wheeler sort of news that he's willing to play ball with the Jets and, and you know, potentially waive or expand his no move. Um, and obviously once July 1st hits, that opens the door there for, for some other things to happen. I, I, I'm now leaning that it's more likely Blake Wheeler might not be a Winnipeg Jet than Mark Shifley. Uh, so if I had to say, you know, which one of those two is more likely to still be here in the fall, I'd say it's Mark Shifley. Um, because it would shock me if both guys are gone. That would certainly... Would well, I mean, again, <clears throat> to me, that really signals then that that there is a changing of the guard and that, that that would signal a shift in the mindset or the mentality of this team. Isn't that what we all said probably needed to happen at the end of last season, though? We did, for sure. I, I just don't know that it, many of us thought that True North would... You know, an organization that is loyal sometimes to a fault um, you know, that, that they would get, that they would think that big. Uh, but I do wonder if we're now hitting a point. And, and again, you know, if Barry Trotz had been brought in, does that change the way they address, say, the Shifley and or Wheeler situations? Do they want to, you know, would they have wanted to maybe see what those guys could do under a new coach, specifically Mark Shifley? Now that Trotz isn't your guy and maybe you're going to bring in someone a little younger, maybe someone a little more inexperienced, Again, does that now cause you to reevaluate how you handle some of these personnel decisions? Um, you know, oh, to be a fly on the wall these days in the offices at True North, uh, because I imagine that they're burning the midnight oil, kind of wrestling over a lot of these decisions that are going to have to be made here sooner than later. Hey, uh, let me ask you about what a potential Wheeler deal would look like in your mind, Mike. I mean, I know, uh, you know, some individuals, uh, you know, have popped out that, you know, the Jets may, to get that contract off the books, may need to throw in a sweetener, like, you know, potentially a prospect or a pick. I, I don't, listen, I could be wrong on this, but I don't see the Jets getting rid of Blake Wheeler and saying, here, you take Billy Hanela to take Blake Wheeler off the, off the books. I, I just don't see that happening. Um, 
uh, your thoughts on that. And, and if Wheeler is dealt, how does that trade look? Is it something where the Jets are maintaining more of the salary back? Or is it, you know, trading Blake Wheeler to a situation, A, that he's got to agree to? Let's not forget, it's only right. a five-team no-trade list. And, hey, if he's willing, and we've heard reports that he's willing to accommodate that, maybe that's a much bigger list than five. Um, but once you trade him, are you bringing back another player that maybe is a little bit, quote-unquote, overpaid based on where they're at in their career? Um, and... You know, you're changing things up like that, preferably. And we th we've talked a lot about Florida, and I don't know what Patrick Hornquist, if he has any trade protection in it. He's got one year left at 5.9. Um, you know, if you're able to do that, knowing that you've got the certainty and you'll get the cap space afterwards, that might be something that makes right. work. But when you break this down, I mean, how can the Jets make this happen? And what does a Blake Wheeler trade look like in your mind? Well, the risk if you're the Jets here, and when you're talking, let's say, start with salary retention, we know that under the CBA, a team can retain up to 50%, right? So if you're the Jets, let's just say that that's the starting point with another team. They say, well, we're only talking Blake Wheeler with you if you agree to retain 50%. If you're the Jets then, and you're going to pay you know, four, just over $4 million on your own cap for Blake Wheeler to not play for you, at that point, are you better to potentially keep Blake Wheeler and the value that you know he still has as a player? No, he's not an $8 million player, but if you're now paying $4 million for him to go somewhere else and be a, a still a pretty productive you know, second, third-line player, not to mention, Huss, losing Blake Wheeler means you now have a hole in your lineup that needs to be filled, certainly in your top nine, arguably your top six, for sure your top one or two power play units. So who are you replacing them with? What's the salary of that replacement on top of potentially retained salary? Again, it goes into a whole, are you better to just keep the player then? Uh, because you don't want to obviously make the kind of decision that actually hampers uh, rather than helps your team. So, you know, to me, salary retention would be a very interesting discussion here. And depending on what that number comes in at, the Jets may be taking a position that that's all they need to do, that if we're going to retain some salary here, that's the sweetener. Uh, you're still getting a pretty productive player. And, you know, if the Jets are going to retain, let's say, $3 million, well, is Blake Wheeler at $5 million for another team a pretty good deal? I, I think you could make an argument that that wouldn't be a bad deal at all. So the idea of a sweetener, I think only really, and, and if we're talking about a prospect or a pick, to me, that would almost be in lieu of big salary retention, not in addition to. Um, so, you know, that, that's what, something the Jets are going to have to obviously all over here. Um, what would they do with that potentially, potential mm -hmm. salary savings? How would they use it? And I think that's where now this intersects a bit with a discussion you and I have had about the blue line. They have a number of guys, you know, Nate Schmidt, Brendan Dillon, Neil Pionk, um, Dylan DeMello, his salary isn't quite as significant, but guys making, you know, big, big money that if they were to now move one of those guys and replace them with, you know, a Johnny Kovacevic or a Dylan Sandberg, guys that are still on their ELCs, well, there's a significant savings to your cap right there. Um, and so do they have to retain salary on Blake Wheeler? Um, you know, these are all discussions that in a lot of ways I think are intertwined with each other and it'll be interesting to see the first domino to fall 
because I think a lot of the decisions the Jets are going to make this season are going to be connected to each other in some way, shape, or form with a mindful eye, obviously, on the salary cap and the roster configuration. Yeah, and, and I'll just say one thing on Vili Hanel because I know people freak out when they hear that. That And, and listen, I, I'll be honest. I just simply do not subscribe to the fact that Vili Hanel would be involved in some sweetener. Could he potentially be traded? Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, anyone that listened to Chevrolet's interview at the Combine <laughs> right. talking about his team, he wasn't talking for the first time in a long time. They weren't talking about Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler and Connor Hellebuck. He was talking about how excited they were about Cole Perfetti and Vili Hanel in particular. I am of the opinion that they find a way to give Vili Hanela under a new coach a very legitimate chance to yeah. be in the lineup at the beginning of the season and go forward with that. And maybe that does signify that they are going in a little bit of a different direction. Um, and part of that, you're right, it, it is all intertwined because what happens with the defense core to move some of that money allows you to bring in some younger, cheaper players um, and at the same time, I mean, it is fascinating, though. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. I can never remember more potential possibilities and things, frankly, that have to happen yeah. almost over the last five years put together than where we are right now with this Winnipeg Jets in the offseason, Mike. You know, Huss, it was interesting watching the uh, Avalanche Stanley Cup celebration the other night. I don't know if you caught it. I think it was Gabe Landeskog was interviewed on the ice and someone said to him, you know, what would be your advice or to other teams out there who want to know how, how can they become the Colorado avalanche and Landis paused for a, a second or two. And he said, find yourself a kale McCarr, <laughs> which, which was a funny response and obviously easier said than done. There is only one kale McCarr, but you know, it got me thinking given how the avalanche play, they kind of debunked a bunch of theories, right? That, you know, the idea that you need a big tough, blue line well the abs i mean they have some guys like eric johnson sure but the abs have a young ballish in some cases uh very mobile puck moving defense and you know i was thinking after that comment by landeskog if you're the jets and you're looking at what's on your nhl roster and what's ripening on the vine in the farm no you don't have a kale mccarr so gave landeskog's advice there that's not going to happen What's the closest you might have to a player who can do some of the things that a Kale McCarr can do? That might be Billy Hanela. And given what the Jets just and the rest of the NHL just watched the Avalanche do, I do wonder if, you know, the, as you point out, new coach, kind of fresh start, fresh approach. I think Billy Hanela comes to camp in the fall and he's, you know, they're not going to gift him anything. But he's absolutely a guy that they're counting on to be a part of this. This is team. a draft and develop team. The Jets never have been and never will be in the business of giving away first round selections that they right. put a lot into without giving a legitimate chance at the National Hockey League level. Someone knocks your socks off with it at the deal of a guy you want so bad you have to do it. Okay, but yeah. this isn't time to move on or anything like that. And I really don't feel that the uh, that's the the feeling of the organization. No. Mike, before we go. Uh, I just want to quickly pivot to this Hockey Canada situation for a minute. And I know we touched on it last week, um, but very interesting to hear today that Scotiabank has pulled their sponsorship with Hockey Canada. And, and I can tell you as someone that worked there for a long time, putting on the, on the World Women's Championships here, the core group of sponsors that have been supporting Hockey Canada 
Tim Hortons, Scotiabank, Esso, Telus, to name a few. Um, you know, have been the like when they lost the funding, that's six percent of their budget. Yeah. Um, you know, in the big picture, for any other sports organization to lose the government funding would be massive. That's not the case. This is run like a professional team, a professional yeah. organization with a number of things. But I did say on the show last week and in conversations, just wait till the squeeze comes when a couple of those long-term signature sponsors, TSN, another one. Now, that's a kind of a different story because they, of course, are the broadcaster that does all their games. Um, but they're also, they're also the news organization that's uncovered a lot of this in Rick Westhead, though, which is a very interesting uh, dichotomy there. Obviously, the news division would be very separate from the rest of the organization. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. Rick is quite separate from the hockey yeah. division. I think we've seen that so far. But what was your reaction to that? And, and, and where does this go from here? Because... Um, you know, this could like if all their sponsors say, "Hey, listen, we can't be hooked up with this right now. This is this is not good for our brand." Uh, never mind the the money from the government that was six percent. So many things that Hockey Canada does right now is really put into peril. And I think you know potentially you could see some very significant changes, not on the things that they need to do for obvious reasons based on what we've talked about, but for putting for teams, preparations, camps, all of those things. Well, first off, good on Scotiabank because, you know, I think it, was, it wouldn't have been an easy decision to make for sure. And there's potential blowback. But I think, you know, the, the, the stance that they're taking, the position they're taking is is the right one. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see now, you know, we often it just takes one, right? And then the snowball effect kicks in. So I thought it might have been a race to the podium to tell everyone that they were doing this amongst right. the other sponsors as well. For sure. And if, if there was reluctance from other sponsors, Scotiabank kind of taking the lead, uh, I, I suspect we may see that avalanche now happen. And, you know, for Hockey Canada, this is an organization based on what we heard last week at those hearings and, and you know, what's emerged here. This is an organization where there appears to be an enormous sense of entitlement, uh, of invincibility, uh, that they do things, you know, their way without much scrutiny, without much questioning. And it is that environment, Huss, which has allowed, you know, a situation like this to fester. Uh, and and who knows how many other situations that have now gone uncovered based on their incompetence. Um, you know, so I think this is long overdue. And I think there is a, a day of reckoning that is now happening uh, and, you know, it, it's going to take, um, you know, public pressure is one thing. Government scrutiny is one thing. But when the sponsors start to bail, and as you point out, especially longstanding, valuable ones like Scotia, when those ones are now abandoning ship, that's when change is really going to start to happen. And so uh, this will be fascinating to watch. The, the government hearings are not over. There's still more to come. We know the NHL has an investigation going on. We know potentially police could reopen an investigation here. You just wonder when all is said and done, uh, how deep the roots of this go and how many might end up getting entangled in what is pretty clearly, you know, an egregious scandal in this country, Haas, that, 
that went uncovered for far too long. Well, and, 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 you know, and again, it's part of a bigger conversation about some of the rot in the game at the grassroots levels, at the junior hockey levels, things that have been tolerated for a long time and leadership that has turned a blind eye or worse covered things up. And, uh, um, as I said before, I mean, it was very significant with what happened at the house of commons, but for the bottom line right now, the immediate future, there is nothing that will affect Hockey Canada more than their long-term key premier partners taking a step back. And and that will have effects on the game at multiple levels um, if the money's not there. And I mean, let's think about what's happened with Hockey Canada before. I mean, I likened it to a professional organization, which it is in a lot of ways. I mean, they hire a ton of people, they do tons of work, and a lot of it is great work. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. But the uh, the lure of the big money has it kind of like we always thought of Hockey Canada is like the other NHL team yeah. and the value of the crest, the logo, the merchandising and the way, frankly, that after the 1999 World Junior Championships that were so successful here, it basically said that if you don't have an 18, 20,000 seat NHL arena for us to charge big money for the seats, you're not getting the tournament. And even that has sort of seen the law of diminishing returns and is coming back right now. So this could be the most pivotal period in the history of Hockey Canada's existence as we know it. And I know Tom Rennie's the outgoing president, and that's probably a very good thing considering right. what happened last week. Uh, my God, did the people that will be taking over to clean up this mess have a lot of work to do. Yeah, and, and you know, again, we don't know exactly how how big this is going to get because certainly there were some seeds planted last week that suggest this is not an isolated case, that there have been others as well, you know, other skeletons in other closets just waiting to be uncovered. And uh, I suspect the folks at Hockey Canada are not sleeping very well these days, but you know what? That's a good thing. Uh, that's how change happens. And as you say, money, money talks. And right now, uh, the money here, uh, if it stops flowing to Hockey Canada in a number of ways, uh, that is going to force this organization's hand to make what appear to be some long overdue and, and very necessary changes. No doubt. Mike, thanks so much for the time and uh, enjoy the long weekend. Uh, hopefully you won't have to work too much on it. We can get to everything next week. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll maybe touch base with you uh, from uh, from the draft floor in Montreal next week. Looking forward to it. Book it, my friend. Thanks so much. There's Mike McIntyre, the Winnipeg Free Press. Of course, follow him on Twitter and check out all of his work in the Free. We're going to get to some tennis right away. Uh, before we do that, hey, again, thanks again to the gang over at Little Brown Jug. Great hosts, and uh, what a great time we had. Thanks, Special thanks to everyone that joined us last Friday. Uh, and I mentioned they've got that great Folk Fest contest right now. You heard that right. Little Brown Jug wants to send you and your bestie to the Winnipeg Folk Festival with a four-day pass on us. Purchase a 24-pack of Folk Fest lager to automatically be entered. You must purchase from the tap room or online for pickup only. The contest will be valid now until Canada Day at 11 p.m. One lucky winner will be drawn and contacted on the second. Good luck. Of course, Little Brown Jug proud sponsor of the Folk Fest and Winnipeg Sports Talk. And you uh, take them up on that offer, head on down, grab the Folk Fest lager at the tap room on William Avenue.
Um, big cheers to our friends at Not Auto Corp as well. Going to be hitting the track tomorrow with Trevor and the gang. Uh, but of course, right now they're working hard on putting Winnipeggers and Manitobas into great vehicles at the best possible price. Known to uh, known to the land. Why not get in the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team? Pop on down and visit them at Waverly and McGilvery and online at not.ca. And I was texting my guy, my guy Nick from DQ earlier. They are, I mentioned that they're on Skip the Dishes. And last night I had some stuff going on. I didn't want to move my car. I made an order that Nick and Nicky DQ on St. Anne's coming through with an amazing order. Great packaging, which is so important if you're getting things on delivery apps. And uh, even the Blizzard, that Reese's Pieces cookie dough Blizzard, which is like crack. Um, came through perfectly and was awesome. So your best bet is to pop down and see the Nick and Nicky DQ in person. Grab your blizzard there. DQ Neverville, DQ Northgate, DQ St. Anne's, and DQ Polo Park. Uh, but otherwise, all three with City locations are available on Skip the Dishes. And I uh, ordered it last night. It came out great. All right. John Horn is coming up right now, and I would have loved to have been talking about some great news on the court at Wimbledon, but... Uh, Aye, aye, aye. We do not have great news to talk about Canada's top-seeded men's player. Let's get John in here and welcome to the program. John, what's going on? Thanks for doing this. I wish we were not starting off by talking about Felix being bounced from Wimbledon. What the heck happened while we were on the air? Oh, you know what, John? Highest seed on both the men's and women's side. Both, uh, both, uh, you know, surprising that uh, he he got bounced so early. He, I mean, he's a good grass court player. He brings a lot of tools to the shed, but his opponent, Maxim Cressy, uh, really played well. And uh, it was funny to watch match point. Uh, you don't see a lot of serve and volley in the game anymore. Uh, Cressy on second serve goes serve and volley, puts away the winner and gets the match. So uh, very disappointing. Um, you know, the way that Felix has had a good year this year. He got to a fight, he won his first title this year, got to a semi on grass uh, not long ago. Um, you know, got to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open thought that he could go deep into the tournament. I knew Cressy was going to be a tough player. And even if he got through Cressy, uh, you know, Taylor Fritz, who'd won Eastbourne a couple days ago, was also on the menu. Um, but I was still surprised. Uh, I just I just thought that uh, he, he, he'd get through this match. But Cressy's a solid player, and uh, he showed uh, why serving volley playing on grass with a big serve uh, makes all the difference. Uh, it just seems so stunning. I mean, I'll be honest. I was getting ready to do our picks for the lock shop yesterday. We do a bit of betting stuff and I was eyeing Felix to come out of his quarter knowing yeah. Nadal was in it. And, you know, I kind of thought back to just how incredibly he played at the French open against Nadal who owns that court. And it seemed like, okay, this is time for the breakthrough. Now I wasn't ready to, sprinkle on him to beat uh, Djokovic as the winner of the tournament, but I really think he did have that that thing. So this must be incredibly disappointing for Felix as well, who had his highest ranking ever as the number six seed. Well, I made my predictions on Twitter before the tournament started, and I had Felix making the final. So scratch that. <laughs> and on the women's side, I had Belinda Bencic making the final. Scratch that. So uh, predictions, not uh, not a strong suit this year. But yeah, I mean, look, he he's, he's a solid player and a good all-round player. And um, you know, he actually won a won a tune up uh, won a tune up match earlier uh, against Nadal a couple days ago just to get ready for the tournament. Uh, you know, it's an exhibition, but still for what it is. But uh, I, I'm I'm really surprised. I mean, he did have 64 winners in the match and only 27 errors. So even with those numbers, uh, not good enough. 28 aces. 
Um, but yeah, just just not strong enough against uh, Cressy and you know a forehand. Uh, it was it was five five in the fourth set at a forehand, which you know a shot he should make. Uh, it goes long with it, and uh, that sets up match point for Cressy, and Cressy delivers. So, you know, it, again, it just shows though, as, as great as Felix a player is, it just shows you the depth of the tour when you know a guy who's ranked in the 40s can dispatch you know the number six seed in the tournament, and uh, and that's kind of what you're seeing uh, at Wimbledon. You're seeing some players, you know, bouncing, bounced or being stretched to the limit uh, in the draw, and uh, unfortunately for Canadian tennis fans, Felix will have to wait another year to. Uh, to get a, to, to get a step closer to winning a Wimbledon title. Yeah, I mean, that really sucks for a number of reasons, but especially when you mentioned those numbers with the winners and unforced errors. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you told me that beforehand, I would have said, okay, great, who's he playing in the next round? But yeah. um, at this level, and sometimes people don't give enough credit to the guys we don't know that aren't household names, mm-hmm. just to be in this tournament, I mean, there is such an incredible level of player right now across the world. We've seen what's happened with Canada, but other countries are doing the same thing. And and you really do need to be on your best, even as a top 10 player in the world, yeah. um, because you know you're going to get the best from who's ever on the other side of the net. Well, also, too, it, in the men's draw, especially, you see a lot of big servers fare well at Wimbledon and keeping the points short because they have such big serves. You know, when you look at the John Isner's and the success he's had, uh, you know, Kyrgios with the big serve. Uh, any of these guys who have a big serve uh, are usually going to do well at Wimbledon. And you're also going to see players who do well in tie breaks do well as well. Uh, and Felix had done well in tie breaks. He was 21 and 11 in tie breaks. He won 21 tie breaks this year. I don't know if that was at the top of the tour, but certainly close to the top of the tour. And he wins the first set in a tie break. Uh, but then he loses the last two sets in the tie break. So you've got to play well in tie breaks at Wimbledon too, especially against big servers. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, it just didn't go Felix's way. Won the first one, lost the last two with a 6-4 set in between. So, you know, again, it's, 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 it's unfortunate. And, uh, you know, a couple years ago, we'd sort of say, well, let's chalk it up to, you know, experience and, you know, he had a good run, what have you. Um, but now we're getting to the point where we've seen Felix uh, and Shapovalov as well, you know, playing on tour for a number of years now, getting into slams regularly, getting into top 10, 15 seeds and in, in draws, and you're expecting them now to go deeper. And when they're not now, people are getting really disappointed. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to say that, you know, this is a, a black eye on the way things have been going for Canadian tennis, but certainly uh, for Felix to lose as the number six seed, especially with, you know, the fact that the Russian players aren't in there. He's, there's no Rublev, there's no Medvedev, uh, there's no Federer. You've got Nadal who, you know, struggled a little bit today. Uh, Djokovic dropped a set in the first round. You know, it could be one of those Wimbledons where, you know, you see a surprise winner. You never know. So uh, unfortunately, Felix won't, uh, won't get a chance to uh, be a part of that. Well, well. Uh, on a better note, where does this leave El Chapo, uh, who will certainly be uh, Canada's top hope on the men's side? Well, El Chapo won his uh, match today. Uh, you know, I think that that's it's a good win for him, winning in five. Went the uh, distance. Yeah, went the distance. I was down two sets to one and came back and uh, easily the way that he's been playing. He's dropped six matches in a row. Uh, hadn't won a match on grass this year. So for him just to get this win uh, is big for him to get to the second round. Uh, I mean, I'm not expecting uh, Shabovalov to go deep into the tournament just because of the fact that he hasn't been playing very good tennis. I mean, now he's already been stretched to five sets in his first round. Uh, so I'm not expecting much. But I, just the fact that he did get this win uh, and he came back from two sets to one down and won the first set 6-1, lost a couple tie breaks, uh, and then you know won the final set quite handily. 
uh, just shows that there's some resilience there. And, um, you know, players are going to go through ups and downs in tennis. It's just the way it is. I mean, they play all year long. You're going to go through stretches. It's like playing blackjack, right? You win like six, seven hands in a row. You're going to lose probably six, seven hands in a row after that. It's all going to even out. You just hope that the positives, when you're walking out of the casino, you're making a little bit of money instead of losing a ton of money. And in Felix's case, or in uh, Dennis's case, you know, losing six in a row, uh, right after beating the doll in a, in a, on a clay court, which not a lot of people can do. Uh, granted, he was a bit injured at the end of that match. But to beat Nadal on a clay court, you're thinking, oh, well, the, you know, this is this could be a turning point for his year. And then suddenly loses six in a row. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, he can uh, put a couple wins together here and go a little bit deeper into the draw. I'm not expecting him to do too much, but uh, still a good five set win for him. Um, well, I mean, it's positive. I did not know that he lost six in a row going into this tournament. That's yeah. sort of not that. Uh somewhat alarming especially considering we would think that this is sort of an area that Dennis would really you know dominate on and and not a good six in a row either I mean losing against players in the first round players that he should be beating you know he was seated in a lot of these tournaments and he was losing the players that he should be winning uh beating easily so uh and some of the matches were in straight sets too so certainly didn't look good coming in uh but like I said uh to get a five set win uh in a slam uh, I know he had the success last year at Wimbledon. Doing, he had a great Wimbledon last year. Maybe, maybe it's his tournament. Maybe he can parlay that into something. But uh, you know, I'm trying to be optimistic. But uh, you know, Shabovov's game. It just sometimes just really, it's really frustrating to watch because he goes for so much. Um, you know, he just doesn't stay in the rallies. I know Wimbledon on grass, you're not going to get a ton of rallies anyway. But um, I just sometimes feel that he just gets a little over anxious and doesn't think it out a little bit more than he should uh, on certain points. But uh, um, you know, he's had some success, so uh, let's uh, let's roll it and see what he can do. Uh, let's move over on to the women's side. Um, no Layla, fill us in on her situation and uh, what should, how high, if any, are the expectations of Bianca Andreescu, who's had so many issues but has returned and was playing better coming into this event? Yeah, I mean, Layla's had the, the injury that she suffered uh, just before the first, just during the French. And it just, you know, she hasn't been able to, you know, play her, her ankle injury. She had surgery. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when she'll be ready. I think she was targeting the hard court season before the U S open. So hopefully she'll get to play uh, in Toronto, but we'll have to wait and see. So, uh, she missed Wimbledon. Uh, so Bianca Andreescu uh, and Rebecca Marino were the two Canadians in the women's draw. Rebecca Marino, unfortunately, lost in the first round, actually had a chance to win that match, just a chance to serve for the match yesterday. Uh, but she ended up losing the final four games and uh, ended up losing the first round. So tough loss for her. Uh, could have got a matchup against Angebur in the second round, which would have been nice. Probably would have got center court or court one with some nice exposure for her. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. Uh, but Bianca Andreescu, I mean, yeah, she, I mean, she's coming off of uh, getting, reaching a final in uh, Germany last, uh, the end of, uh, well, I guess a couple days ago, weekend. It all seems like a blur now, all these matches. <laughs> but it was, uh, <laughs> played on the weekend and lost in the final, uh, tough final against Caroline Garcia, um, you know, her first grass court final. Uh, she'd never won a, a match on uh, Wimbledon soil before. She only played two other matches and lost both of them. So she gets a win today in the first round yeah, quite handily. Just took 55 minutes. She only dropped four games, uh, played really well. And I think she had 28 winners, nine unforced errors, um, you know, five bre- breaks of serve converted. So I, I, I thought that she played really good tennis today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, she's got a tough matchup because she's unseated and she's sort of making her way back still. Um, you know, she's going to get Elena Rybakina probably in the second round uh, if she wins her first round match. And that'll be a tough, uh, a tough matchup for her. 
Um, you know, but this is what happens when you take time off and you, you know, her she took a mental health break, which I think was really good for her. She looks like she's come back with a really positive attitude and seems to be having fun out there. And that was something that she said she wasn't having when she was, she was losing and she was struggling. So, uh, it was a good idea to do the reset and, um, you know, she had a ranking down in the 120s a, a couple months ago and she's got it into the fifties now. So, uh, that's pretty good. And, uh, you know, I, I think that she's got a good uh, a good game for the grass. I mean, we know that she can hit the ball a ton, and she can also play tricky shots. She can throw in drop shots. She can come to the net. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good game to have when you're playing, you know, any player because you just don't know what to expect uh, when you're facing her. So, um, you know, can she go deep into the tournament? Uh, we'll have to see. I mean, she, Iga Sriantek is in her portion of the draw, so that's going to be tough. But Sriantek's won 36 matches in a row now. Um, but, hey, you never know. It's, she's got to lose at some point. Maybe she'll lose to Andrescu if she can get through. Well, uh, it sucks that we don't have Felix. We'll be uh, seeing what Dennis and uh, Bianca can do going forward, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Sviantek and the Djokovic or the people we're talking about in a couple weeks winning another yeah. Wimbledon title. Um, John, thanks so much for doing this. It's always great having you on the program, and enjoy the tennis. Always enjoy talking tennis, and uh, maybe we'll catch up uh, over the next fortnight, they call it, in uh, in England, uh, and we can talk Go crush some strawberries and cream after the match. Thanks for doing this. There's John Horn. Follow him on Twitter at Sports Horn, <laughs> tennis consultant yeah. for um, Ubisoft and, and much more. All right. Uh, we're going to get Remo back in here because we do have to hit the hit the track for tonight. Um, but, of course, do want to thank our friends at Boston Pizza. Great spot to watch the Jays. Big win last night going at it against the Red Sox this evening. So, no hockey for a little while. Football on the weekends. NFL still a couple months away. This really is the dog days of summer when it comes to sports. And it's time for baseball. Gold Eye's back for three days. I think I'm going to pop by the game tonight. Um, but no better place to gather with pals to watch the game than Boston Pizza. Great happy hour specials from 3 to 6 and 6 to 9. And make sure to check out that new summer menu, including special tacos and the Carnitas Pizza. You can always order online as well at bostonpizza.com. Uh, might be a nice day to mix in a CC and ginger outside somewhere. Of course, the Canadian Club and Ginger Ale Ready to Drink Mixed Cocktail is uh, really the hit of the summer right now. You can pick it up at Manitoba Liquor Marts and beer stores. And for you Bomber fans, you've still got a couple days till the end of the month to pop by a Canadian's beer store, grab a six-pack of CC and Ginger. You get a free Bomber Slim Can koozie, and you'll be entered to win an autographed Blue Bomber jersey, and they're giving away one jersey at every Canadian's beer store. So there you go. You know where to get your cold ones. The CC and Ginger is available now uh, with that great deal for Bomber fans at the Canadian's beer stores. Um, all right, cool bet lines. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's uh, get to Michael Remus back in here. Been a hectic show, lots going on. A disappointing result for Felix Oje Aliassim, who I thought we'd be, I certainly hope we'd be talking about for the next week and a half, making a real push at Wimbledon. Uh, but Remo, it is a beautiful night for the ponies. I'm going to be there tomorrow. I know a couple friends that are going there tonight. And uh, it is time for you to start authoring an incredible comeback. Yeah, last year I got out of the gate real hot and I was winning all my picks, all my Quinellas, I was hitting them. My winners, I was hitting this year. It just hasn't been going well. I, I had some picks yesterday. I think I hit two out of three on my tri-actor box. 
on my Quinellas, I would get the winner, but I couldn't get the second one. So I feel like I'm right there with my picks, but I'm just not getting the winners. And you're you're beating me quite handily. Well, I checked our- out, and and the AS Downs, uh, the Assiniboia Downs YouTube channel is just great, especially. I mean, we made a couple of our bets on HPI Bet. Was out doing some other things, watching a little Cena, watching a little Blue Jays, and then popped over, caught up with the races, watched the later ones. A lot of chalk earlier. Some short favorites were winning. Um, but later on, that was far from the case. I want to say race seven last night had a wild, wild finish with all the favorite horses finishing outside of the top three and the $1 triactor bet paid over $350 last night. So, uh, I'm going to go with a couple, I'm going to do the same thing. A couple longer shots with a couple triactors, but here are my picks for tonight. Starting it off in race one. Don't often hit race one, but I'm kind of feeling HD's hope. So I'm going to put three bucks on number three to win race number one. And then we're going to go two bucks on number two to race number to win race number two. Twos are wild. That is Mr. Pickles. What a name. With uh, with Ronaldo Cumberbatch on the win. You know, I hit on him before. He's had some nice, and this is a longer race too, one mile. So he's done quite well in the past with some longer distances. So we're hitting Mr. Pickles. Race number three, we're going to do a 3-5 Quinella, Big Tony, and Bombilagato. So there you got three and five. We'll put up three bucks on that, which leaves me $12. I'm going to do two of those $6 bets, the tri-actor box. This is where you pick three horses uh, and you click them off for first, second, and third. It essentially gives you six different ways. So if those three horses finish in any order, you win. That's what we were talking about with that $1 tri-actor bet last night. So in race number six, we're going to go with Hearse on Easter, number one, and then five and six. Talking the night train and right of vengeance. So one, five, and six. That's a $6 bet for race number six. And number seven, race number seven, kind of going a little bit, a little bit off the board. Actually, I guess a couple or one of these picks is in the mix, but I'm not taking the favorite. No Kamano comment for me today. We're going with number two, Know What I Mina. Number five, Gold Diggin' Darling. And eight, Buy Y'all. So two, five, eight for the Triactor box. And hopefully that will come through. Remo, where are you throwing your 20 tonight to turn this thing around? All right. I got a couple bets. Let me see here. I'm pulling them up. All right. I'm doing race three, four, five, six. Race three. I'm doing a Quinella. Finished first and second in any order. Four or five. I got top of the rock and Bombi El Gato. I think I got that one right. Race four. I'm doing a triactor box. First, second, third, any order. Three, five, seven. Guaranteed delivery. Call me captain and little deputy. Nice. Race five. I'm going with another two, six Quinella. I got to hit these like first, second, any order because you get more money when you uh, combine multiple horses. Hitting. Picking just one horse to win, and it's not a huge payout unless it's a big long shot. Race 2-6, Victoriaville, and Sins and Wins. Sins and Wins, great named horse. And race 6, I'm going with another Quinella. Creative feature and flat out leader. So we are on completely different horses in race 6. I'm curious how that one's going to work out. 
Good stuff. Good luck to everyone. Again, great night to get out and watch some live racing. I got some buddies going tonight. I'm going to be heading there tomorrow with some of the gang from Not Autocorp. Looking forward to that. And of course, you can always bet online at hpibet.com. Watch on the YouTube channel if you're not able to get there. But if you are, hit them up online, make arrangements, get a reservation in the Terrace Dining Room, get on that incredible world-class prime rib buffet, and uh, have a great night out at the track. Big guys in chat. This is a nice little segue into the cool bet lines today. I saw somebody bet 150 bucks that the Avs would win the cup. Marcus Smart is defensive NBA player of the year. And Nikola Jokic wins the MVP. He won $187,000 for that trifecta or parlay. Damn. I would have liked to have had something like that. Well, speaking of trifectas or parlay, I actually do have a three-gamer for you. We talked about this today on the lock shop. Michael Walker's on the line. Jays fans, plug your ears. Um, nice pitching matchup for the Red Sox tonight. Walker versus Stripling. Obviously, the Jays pumped them last night. I think the Red Sox come back. You're getting plus money. It was plus 117 earlier, plus 109. Other picks that I like, Tampa Bay Rays over the Milwaukee Brewers and the Philadelphia Phillies over the Atlanta Braves. Um, put those together. It was better than six to one. If you want a little more info on that, you can check out today's lock shop episode, but uh, lots of baseball bets going on right now. And a quick update, Remo, let's just fire up these, uh, these uh, lines for the Canadian football league. There's been some big note. Now the Montreal Saskatchewan game is off the board right now. It was Saskatchewan minus four yesterday, but this is really interesting. Last night when we were doing the picks, looking at it, Ottawa was four point underdogs at home. Uh, that is down to two and a half points. So obviously, despite how good BC's looked, maybe people thinking that this game will be closer than some people think. Elks, seven point underdogs against Hamilton. Oh, and it looks like Saskatchewan's back up four and a half point favorites over the Alouettes. But last night, this game, Bombers-Argos for Monday opened up at five and a half in favor of the Bombers. Last night, it was three and a half for the Bombers. And we jumped on it, made those picks, gave them out today on the lock shop. By the time we were finishing recording, the Bombers were back up to four and a half. And it's now gone to five points. So uh, I'll be honest. I think that is, I mean, the guys know what they're doing. I have a feeling Bombers are going to win. But this won't be a runaway victory. Wouldn't it all be surprised if it actually ended up at four and you could end up middling on both sides. But if you're able to get the Bombers at three and a half, that was a great number. We'll see whether this goes forward. You do have a few days to get to the Bomber game before, of course, Monday. But things get going with that BC-Ottawa game. Um, and BC minus 154 on the money line. Ottawa plus 127 at home to get the win. And that, to me, Reem, is really the game of the week when you consider what we've seen from Ottawa so far, but especially the stunning performances of BC and their young quarterback, Nathan Rourke. Yeah, and uh, who we're seeing in, uh, in chat. Some injury news. William Powell, the running back, he's back for Ottawa. Brian Burnham, he's out, uh, got injured. I think yeah, James... three to six weeks for yeah. Burnham. And, you know, Lucky Whitehead got banged up, but he's good to go for BC. Nathan Rourke has looked pretty awesome, you know, just shredding uh, the defenses of Toronto and Edmonton. But let's see him play like a good team on the road, away from the Dome, coming off a bye. So I think Ottawa's, uh, you know, they're 0-2, but they played the Bombers uh, first two games. The Bombers, number one in the power rank. Uh, so I'm, I want to see the Ottawa against like a decent 
you know, another team who's not as good. Let's see him play, you know, one of the worst teams like uh, Edmonton. But they got BC, who's number two in the power rankings right now. Uh, I'm curious how this is going to go. But that is the game of the week, Thursday. And then we'll have to wait until Monday for the Bombers and Argos. I do remember, you know, the Bombers, one of, the, one of their losses last year was to the Argos. Um, maybe BMO field a bit tougher than we thought. I'm not sure. The Andrew Harris revenge game. I still would take the Bombers. I don't think Toronto's very good, and I don't think uh, McLeod Bethel Thompson uh, is the guy. So uh, I would go. I'm still winning BC minus two and a half. I would take. Uh, that's tough. Uh, five on the road for the Bombers. That's, that's tough, but I think you'd have to take them. Well, that's why I'm feeling pretty good about having Ottawa plus four and Bombers minus three and a half from those yeah, picks last I would do night. That. And again, Kubat cool has done a great job of getting the CFL lines up early. Make a point. If you are a guy that likes to do it, jump on and check them out on Monday because there will be some lines that will be available early in the week that aren't available as the lines move later on. Of course, if you're betting at Kubat cool and you haven't played there before, use the promo code WST for a 100% deposit up to $200 on your first deposit. Um, great night tonight, Remo. What's going on? You don't have to uh, herd cats with the soccer or anything like that? You've actually got some time off? I got to figure out, yeah, I got to figure out my plan. I don't know, have a couple TVs on with some baseball and some Assiniboia downs. Uh, before we go, I did want to mention, we, you and I want, just should mention this real quick. This was the hockey news of the day, right up our alley. Alex Lyon, the goalie, <laughs> the goalie for the Chicago Wolves, had a shutout, 28 saves in the Calder Cup winning game. He's going to be suspended for two, two games next season for flipping the double bird in the celebration picture. And I wanted to just bring this up here. Shield, shield your eyes. Yeah, for those of you offended by finger, um, yeah. finger signs. If you're offended by a finger, you're not going to want to see this. How dare anyone look at a finger, but uh, here he is in the celebration, Alex Lyon. Uh, this, this is two the, games. yeah, this is their winning double, photo. Double, double bird, stone cold style. Not really sure what the heck he was thinking. Uh, I would not really say that's the classiest thing to do after winning a championship. But, hey, if you win the championship, you oh, can usually do whatever I, the heck you want. Uh, apparently not, though, Alex Lyon. You're suspended for two games, as you know, reported by Frank Cervelli. I, I got to cover my eyes right now. I can't even look at this. It's too, it's too <laughs> so horrific. Offensive. It's just it is offensive. Fingers just really... And it's, embarrassing. It's, and I, embarrassing. I'm not going to be able to change the, uh, the screen after I got to... <laughs> around with my mouse here but uh yeah i i would i mean i wouldn't do that but it's not like the guy uh let in five goals and they won six five he did have a shutout in the clinching game so i mean i don't know if someone if there's some backstory here that he didn't like someone on the other team but what a way I'll to tell celebrate you what, we've all heard of we've all now heard of alex lyon uh yes and uh i'll tell you what that uh, I, I meant to mention this yesterday the uh the wolves win in the calder cup um they were the top team in the moose division we were all disappointed when the Moose didn't get the chance to play Colorado when they got bounced, uh, bounced in the playoffs. But Chicago had a couple players, and that Andrew Podorowski, who was, I believe, the leading scorer as well, just scoring phenom throughout. Um, be interesting to see if he gets an NHL chance. There's a couple other really good players in the Carolina system on that Wolves team that I imagine at some point soon 
will definitely get their chance in the NHL. But I couldn't help but looking at the Wolves team and seeing some of the offense on that club and knowing, you know, the how much the Manitoba Moose would have seen them, which means how much True North Brass would have seen them and thought that, you know, maybe at some point they knock on the door of Carolina uh, for maybe a bit of an unconventional route of an older AHL player that might be able to come in and show that they can put up some points in the NHL. Uh, well, I'm sure all those hockey topics we'll touch on in and around free agency. But first things first, Jets need a coach, and we got to get through draft week. And draft week is going to be very, very exciting here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Hey, before we go, we do need to give a shout out. I know the Bombers have a weird week playing on Monday, but Willie Jefferson named one of the top performers, and that was you just it. an absolutely massive play that pick six. Uh, he also had, a, what, his 51st career sack. It was his fifth career touchdown. Uh, I mean, just a beast on defense, Willie Jefferson. He's a massive athletic individual, and that was just a big play at a time when they needed it to help seal the game on Friday. So well done, Willie Jefferson, named one of the top performers of the week. Yes, indeed. Nathan Rourke as well. And uh, who is the other one? Uh, Malik. Malik Henry, um, who's been on yes. fire. If you keep taking Reggie Bagleton in fantasy, you're getting, uh, it's not going well for you. Kamar Jordan, not going well. Uh, he is turning into the guy, Henry, and yeah, Nathan Rourke. I mean, no doubt. Uh, he was one of the top performers as, as well. Oh, by the way, for any of you that were wondering how the Live Tour is working now that they've come to North America, uh, the Live Tour is oh, desperately needing 500 volunteers to come and work the course. And Sergio Garcia and a number of players are putting out essentially begging Instagram videos, telling people to come and watch them. Really? For Yeah, exactly. And the same thing for the first time. It was going to get free tickets. I'm not sure how many people actually paid for seats. Now, the money doesn't matter. This is, you know, completely financed by the government of Saudi Arabia. So the guys are getting their money. Uh, but I'm fascinated to see how this looks and the reaction there in the Pacific Northwest to the first North American event of the live tour. They don't have money to pay people to come. They have to well, have they volunteers. 10K, they, 10K a volunteer. They spent it all on um, Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson. Well, and then this week, Matt Wolf and Carlos Ortiz, as well as one of the top amateurs in the world, defecting. Oh, and Sergio Garcia has also said he's the captain of the Fireballs. Um, they're going to be changing the name and logo uh, very soon. That has to be one of the shortest teams in professional sports history, lasting all of two weeks before a name and logo change. Um, follow your favorite live golf team in the 54 Shotgun Start event, beginning, I believe, on Thursday and finishing up on Saturday. Are those jerseys on clearance anywhere yet? Or? <laughs> you know what? Check your lid site. Does, does they, Royal, got, they got a fireballs? Is Royal bringing in live golf? Uh, uniforms or <laughs> i'll have to ask speaking of greg from royal i, I saw them in chat yeah he, yeah he, he had said speaking of the fingers from alex line kucherov should have gotten eight games for calling out montreal canadians fans after the after the cup final last year i love the takes i love the takes mm. oh yeah the early uh, one other thing i see you know now that the hockey season's over where I know Coolbet doesn't have uh, the odds yet, but I see other people saying Colorado's the early favorites. Greg Wyshynski has his way too early look at the NHL power rankings. I was actually surprised where the Jets came in. 21. You thought that's high or low? Um, 
Considering all the questions, I thought that was kind of high. Uh, but I mean, you look at the teams below them, I can't really argue. Detroit, yeah. Jersey, Columbus, Chicago, Buffalo, uh, San Jose, Philly, Montreal, Ottawa, Seattle, and Arizona. And then, yeah, I think that actually seems a bit accurate. So, you know, you talk about the teams just above the Jets. Like, give me 20, 19, 18, hey, 17. 20 is the, the other- Ducks. And 19 is Washington. We've got a lot of questions now with uh, Nicholas Backstrom. Then the Islanders, who had a miserable year, 18. Then Vancouver, 17. So you know, maybe the Jets, we've been a lot of doom and gloom here. I'm actually feeling a lot better after seeing this. The <laughs> There's Nashville, still a lot of good players on yeah, this team. Get a coach players. that can figure well, it out and get things going in yeah. the right direction. Are, next week will be pivotal in all of that, finding out you know who's gone, who's sticking around. Um, and then, obviously, who's going to be controlling the thing. So, yes. Man, I'm feeling Oops. a lot. I'm feeling pretty good now. It's been really doom and gloom here the last right week. Now? Probably yeah. not, but it just goes to show if you really want to blow this thing up. And I know there's uh, oh, there's always some people that just want to tank. You don't have to do a lot to tank this team because there are some really good players on this team and a heck of a goaltender in Connor Hellebuck. Well, plenty of time to talk about this the rest of the week tomorrow on the show. Um, can we? Or sorry, Murata Tesh is going to join us, and of course, with next week in the draft. That shakeup in the Bob Fathers draft rankings. We're going to get down to it with Chris Peters. So make sure to join us for that. And Winnipeg rocker Brent Fitz coming back to Manitoba. He's playing Country Fest with his band Took. Love talking sports with Brent. He's going to jump on the program as well. So it should be quite fun. We'll have a bomber update. And then on Thursday, heading into the long weekend, we'll have Ken. We'll have Brandon Rewicki. We'll certainly get Ed Tate on and um, a little bit more teeing up the Canadian Football League, which, of course, begins for the week on Thursday with that BC-Ottawa game. Thanks to John Horn. Thanks to Dave McCarthy in the garden. And always thanks to Mike McIntyre for joining us today. Thanks to all of our sponsors, and thanks to you for making us a part of your day. Hit the red subscribe button if you haven't already. Tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk and let them know they can join us live on YouTube, 1 o'clock Central, Monday to Friday, and, of course, on podcast just in time for your drive home. Have a great night, everybody. Enjoy the Gold Eyes game if you hit it up tonight or the track. We'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again at 1 p.m. Oh, my God! Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.